Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lassies, and those that don't subscribe to a gender, welcome to the Pot of the Dragon podcast. We are here to review episode two. I, th- I believe this was titled The Rogue Prince. It, it episode was. two, The Rogue Prince. Continuing a trend of, cha- of, of episodes being named after chapters and short stories and other little prior works of Martin that have gone into this particular mythos. I am your host, Lee. I am here. The dulcet tones that you hear on the other end of the podcast feed is my, is my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you today? Doing fine, man. Looking toward, looking forward to talk some House of the Dragon with you. Absolutely. So we did a little about 20, 25-minute review podcast where we talked about the episode. That's been up since Sunday night. Spencer, has your, have your thoughts about the episode changed in the couple days since? A, a few complaints have gotten a little bit more complainy, but uh, still, my view of the episode is very solid. I thought this was a well-written, on the whole, well-paced and certainly well-acted bit of television that is really set in moment, well, Gave us one of the most interesting and well-filmed bits of confrontation we've had on Game of Thrones in quite some time. Okay, yeah, my thoughts haven't changed too much. I really like it. It, it was a tad, it was just like a very small notch below the premiere for me. Uh, we can report, though, we have the ratings, that the ratings actually went up for episode two. <laughs> significantly. Well, not significantly. I think it went from 10 to 10.2 million, so 200,000 people. Like, uh, you know. I I would report that as being an incredible growth in numbers. You know, just impossible to imagine. Well, it's pretty incredible considering the fact that, like, with a big blowout premiere like that, where there's a lot of nostalgia from the previous series, you would feel like there's... I felt like it was going to go down because I thought there was going to be a lot of people who jump on the premiere and then go, wait a second, I don't see Jon Snow. I don't see Daenerys Targaryen. Like, I don't see Tyrion. Like, I don't like this. But I I, wasn't giving the the audience enough credit, I don't think. I can say from people I know, there were a fair amount of fence sitters that were waiting to see whether the first episode would suck before they got in to potentially be heard again. And so I, I'm thinking numbers can only continue to actually to go up over the course of the series if it continues to generate good word of mouth. Just because there's a hell of a lot of potential Game of Thrones fans out there that got burned and are afraid to get hurt again. Well, you say that, but like... Their beef is with D and D. Like, I mean, people aren't really rational, right? Because like, this is complete. These are different people running the show. These are different HBO executives that are overseeing it. Like, it's a whole. Di- it's it's a it's a different relationship with a different person. I understand, but you answered your own question for why that's happening. People aren't rational. The, okay. The, the, it's Game of Thrones. It has it in the name. It's on HBO. They're always going to associate the two together, even if it was lock, stock, and barrel. A completely different enterprise behind this. Now, you are aware that there are people out there that liked episode or season eight, right? There are some. Uh, there are people out there. I am aware of people who have told me that. Yes. Okay. All right. Just making sure. All right. So there we go. The ratings actually went up. It's been renewed for season two. Basically, yeah. the story is we're getting a lot more House of the Dragon. So, Spencer, you and I need to settle in, get in our comfortable chair, kick back, stretch our neck a little bit, because we're going to be here a while on the Pot mm-hmm. of the Dragon podcast feed. Thank you all for joining us. I know there is a ton, ton, ton of House of the Dragon content out there. So the fact that you choose to join us and listen to us talk about the uh, the the show House of the Dragon really means a lot to us. If you are enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff you do for podcasts that you like, and you can check out all of our stuff on MagnumTalks.com. Spencer and I review an awful lot of television shows, and most of them are pretty good, I would say. I think that's a fair summary. Yeah, like we we've done a lot of really, I think, really solid television stuff like Succession. We've done Ted Lasso. 
We did a uh, kind of a little-known HBO show called The Nevers, which I'm not sure if that's coming back or not, but I really enjoyed going <laughs> through it with Spencer. So check out our stuff. You can go to any podcast feed or podcast player and type in Mangum Talks, and all of our stuff will pop up, or you can go to MangumTalks.com. That is the housekeeping. Let's get into our episode here on Pot of the Dragon. We're reviewing episode two, The Rogue Prince. We will start with a detailed beat-by-beat summary and breakdown of the episode, which I will lead. Then we will jump into... Our segments, we start with line of the episode, which I am God Emperor of. Spencer will supply me with some nominees, and I will select best line of the episode. And then we will jump to a segment I call, is Game of Thrones back? It's Game of Thrones back? (laughs) Where I pick out something from the episode or something that happened this week in the world of Westeros that makes me think Game of Thrones might be back. And then Spencer will talk a little bit about book to show changes. And last week, what we did is he mentioned a book to show change. I mentioned a book to show change. And we talked about if we liked it, if we felt like there would be a butterfly effect, you know, downstream effects from the change uh, and what we felt about that. Now, I will say that by the time we get to the Spencer segment, by the time we get to book to show changes, that's when we enter spoiler territory. So we're putting that Certainly. like at the end. So when we get there, we will do another reminder that it is spoiler territory. And if you don't want to be spoiled on anything that happens in the books, you can hop off and join us next week. So Spencer, anything you want to talk about before we jump into the recap? Um, are you including the subject of the intro that we finally got as part of the recap? Or are we going to talk about that separately? Absolutely. We're going to talk about that. Absolutely. So we start with the intro. Uh, we actually got an intro this week. We did not get like one slide, one PowerPoint slide, the way we got last week, which was basically the Targaryen logo. And that was just thrown up. What? All right. You've had a couple days to marinate on it. What did you think of the intro? Well, everyone and their mother is now posting on Twitter that, oh, it's the family tree. It's marking the family tree of Aegon's legacy going down the various branches of the family and the literal, literal blood of the dragon flowing through them all. Also, everyone is saying, oh, I didn't realize that when I watched it. I, 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 you were the closest I've met of anyone who even had a theory when they watched it as to what the hell we were watching when that occurred. And I think that's a bit of a statement against the intro. The return of the music was great. It is Star Wars level of nostalgia triggering when it comes to me. The actual visuals of it, while it was well done, they clearly spent a lot of money on it, it was gray and not particularly distinct. And even though it's a family tree, it's not as engaging as the Game of Thrones intros I've become used to. I'm gonna have to score the intro Three and a half, four out of four out of ten. Yeah, I I like it. I mean, I think that what the trouble that you're running into, and that most people are running into, is that what you really wanted was for them to just run back the intro and to just do another map, because like, because what we talked we, we talked about in the when we did the recap was you were saying, well, it didn't tell me anything. Like it wasn't showing me anything. It wasn't like, at, like, well, it, basically what you're asking for is just them running back the same intro. So, uh, and, and by the way, they could have done that. <laughs> that would not have necessarily been a bad idea. They could have done one of two things that I would have been happy with. They either did the same intro, but with their new fangled 18 times their old budget kind of thing, like we've discussed or something wholly different. Instead, they hearkened back to the old intro. You can't say this is not at least an homage to the old intro, but it isn't as successful what the old intro did. For anything, it's just not as colorful or as clear as to what the hell they're depicting. I mean, everyone seems to have to have turned to the internet to even understand that this is a family tree. Are you saying that another piece of Miguel Sapochnik media is dark and hard to see? Oh God, he stepped into it again. He's going to be so pa- he's going to be so mad at us. He's not going <laughs> to like this podcast. Look, I mean, it's not as good as this. It's the original intro. I will give you that absolutely. I 
also, so I have a buddy who talked to me about the fact that he felt like using the same music was lazy. If you have that opinion, I understand your opinion and I am not, that's not lip service. I truly do understand what you're saying. I just prefer the old music. I, I, you, you immediately connected it to star Wars. I thought that was a spot on comparison because they use the same music in star Wars every time and it always works. So I, I just like the same music as far as the animation. I thought I, I had the sense that it was going through, um, old Valyria and that mm-hmm. it was potentially a family tree. I, to be honest, couldn't quite tell what the logos, what they were going for. I think, uh, it's pretty inside baseball. So, you know, if you don't like it, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily, it's not, that's not the hill I'm going to die on with this show. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so then we get into the previously on and well, I think maybe the previously on was before it, but whatever. I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about the previously on the huge emphasis on Damon, math, monstrous yeah. emphasis yeah, on Damon. Why? Because this, is, this episode is the rogue prince. Mm-hmm. Start with some very, very brutal images of people who are tied down being eaten by crabs. This is one of the step zones. I believe this is which, which step zone is this? Do we know? I don't think they said specifically what step zone it is. I'm not even sure if the step, if we, if we know the names of that many step stones. They're just kind of, no, there, we, the we know the name of this one. I can't, I can't remember what it is, but anyway, that doesn't matter. Here is one thing I do want to point out to the everybody listening. Uh, this is not really up for debate. Ryan Condal has spoken openly about this. The crab feeder has a uh, grayscale. With crab, the crab feeder has grayscale. That's when he he looks strange. He doesn't have a helmet on. He's not been burned. He's got grayscale, and he's had it for years. And so that is what is going on with the crab feeder, which, which, which is an addition to the books. But I think they're even kind of mirroring. He looks like a stone man. He looks like he's got elements of that. So I think they gave us enough visuals to kind of go in that direction. But it's nice of them to clarify just to nip other theories in the bud. Yeah, my brother thought it was like a White Walker. I was like, well, I'm not sure that's that. Uh, but I, I do think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's grayscale. Although I will say this, I don't think, I think the way that they are depicting grayscale here visually does look a little bit different. Here's how I was able to connect it. It's is more, the more mo- leprosy kind of style of grayscale. <laughs> I was able to connect it with the movement. Because he was moving super like weird and slow mm-hmm. the way that you know, like that. That is kind of how I saw it. And here's my question to you, Spencer. The crab feeder multi-year into a grayscale issue. Why hasn't somebody come for his crown yet? I mean, I kind of think he's not a very good 1v1. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how they depict him. Because they, they almost framed him here as being like he's a, a rogue pirate prince that's just being funded by the free cities. Whereas in the book, he's actually a prince admiral of Mir. Uh, so it's going to be curious to see, like, if this if this is the guy that Mir picked, man, are they an equal opportunity employer? They, they've got no issue with hiring people that have got potential health issues or disabilities to senior positions, so kudos to them. If this is just the guy that is, you know, co- coalescing pirate tribes with the support of the triarchy, which I think is the direction they're kind of going with, yeah, it seems like he'd be a bit vulnerable. This, that's got to be debilitating with the level he's getting to in terms of the, the pro- progress of his grayscale. I don't think they're going to do this, but here's what I would have done. I would have made the I would have made the crab feeder a Targaryen outcast. Mm, Some, somebody that was like a distant cousin that got excommunicated in some way, and therefore that little bit of Targaryen blood is why he's getting people to rally around him in the stepstones. That's what I would go for. I'm not sure they're going to do that, especially if they stay true to the books. But anyway, there it is. Not a not a White Walker, not a helmet, not a burn. It's grayscale. 
on, on, on a scale out of five, how effective do you view his crab torture as a means of persuading people to not mess with him? For, uh, 17? 18? 17? Yeah, I think that's a reasonable on a scale Unbelievable. of five. Unbelievable. That God. was tough to watch. Very tough to watch. I, mean, my, 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 I was talking to my parents later, and they were saying, crab's in season this year. All the restaurants are doing it on sale, but I can't eat crab. Now I'm just imagining that they feasted on Westerosi merchants right before it came to my table. Yeah, who knew crabs were so tough, man? Those are, those are baller crabs. Yeah, really, really tough images that the crab feeder... And it seems like the crab feeder might be a psychopath because it just looks like he just... It seems like he just sits there and tortures people all day long. Yeah, he, he raids ships, he takes aggressive tolls or whatever else, he receives funding from the triarchy, and he murders people by chaining them to the low tide markers. Mm. Get your crab feeder t-shirts now. <laughs> Team crab feeder. Embrace it now. What I do like, though, is that they do a, a smash cut from the torture that the crab feeder is doing, Kragas Grehar, mm-hmm. to smash cut to wine being poured into a glass for the king. To mm-hmm. show – it's just the juxtaposition. So yeah. red, too. So red. It was like the blood that we saw in the intro. Yeah. So all that heinous shit is going on and the king's sitting there drinking wine. So shout out Viserys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rhaenyra is still the cupbearer. And the king is being informed by Melos that one of the king's guard has died. This is the we actually saw this king guard, king's guard in episode one. He was a much older looking man, and apparently he'd been sick for a while and he died. Mm-hmm. The king is being informed by Melos uh, that Harold Westerling, the new commander of the king guard, we know him. He's Rhaenyra's buddy. Clap for him. Clap for him. Well done. Has a short list of candidates. So they're interviewing for open positions, Spencer. I do this a lot. My job interviewing for open positions. <laughs> a lot of fun. I say, uh, I say very sarcastically. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, happily, he's going to get help before the episode is done. This will bring the number when they hire the new candidate. When they do hire the new candidate, this will bring the number back up to what, Spencer? Seven. The fate what? of the seven. The ah, seven-point star. There it is. <laughs> Westeros is built around, well, particularly the uh, the new inhabitants of Westeros are very much built around this, the imagery of the seven. We see this marble thing in front of the king again. Here is my worry about the marble thing. Now, I am routinely criticized on this podcast network and among my friends group as being a little too positive. I would say yes. you have leveled, leveled that criticism against me before. So I'm going to get negative. Are you ready? I'm not sure how to take this, but go on. I fear they're doing the marble thing only to sell the marble thing because the marble <laughs> thing is available for purchase on HBO's website. Oh, God, is this going to be the new... Are they actually going to try to make marbles cool again? You know, hey, get get the whole set of marbles and play with your friends. I fear that they're selling it so that, like, when we go to, like, dinner parties and stuff, we can have it. And it's like... The, I fear I fear it's just a tchotchke. That's my worry. I hope, I hope I'm wrong, but I, that's my worry. In comes Corliss Valerian, my guy. He is pissed. Oh, my uh-huh. gosh, is he pissed? He stays pissed a lot this episode. He informs the king that four, count them, one, two, three, four of his ships have been taken in the Stepstones. Last one was flying the Valerian Batter, his house banner. The Stepstones have now grown into a conflagration. Yet you sit here and dither about court business. Woohoo, coming in hot, Spencer. What did you think about the intro for Corliss Valerian this episode? I mean, if I was gonna, before this show, I would have used the phrase righteous indignation to describe a lot of what Corliss Valerian did. Good lord, does this actor bring that well. Because that's his primary motivator for like 80% of his appearances in this episode. Otto cuts him right off and says, if you have something to discuss, Lord Valerian, Corliss wants to know what is to be done about his ships and his men. Otto says, well, you'll be reimbursed for your ships and the men will, the men's families will get a stipend or something. That is not good enough for Corliss. He's not interested in that. He wants this danger dealt with immediately, not patched up. 
He then announces he wants to seize the Stepstones by force and burn out the crab feeder. I will say this about Corliss Valerian. Mm-hmm. So I'm a manager in my, my, my job, my real job. For those that don't know, this is not our real job. This is not our real job. <laughs> We'd love it to be, but you know. It, yeah, it, keep listening maybe one day. Uh, I'm a manager and I love it, love, love, love it when I have an employee who comes to me and says, I've got a problem mm-hmm. and here's my solution. What I don't like is an employee who comes to me and says, here's a problem. I'm just going to dump it at your feet and walk away. <laughs> Corliss Valerian does not dump the problem at your feet. He has a proposed solution, which is I will take my fleet, which, by the way, is half of your Royal Navy, and I will go take this fucker out if you just give me the okay right now. In fairness to the small council that are not as okay with this, his solution is, hey, let me start a world war that I'm going to drag you into. I'm not. That is I, what he's proposing. I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure. I agree that it would be a world war that because they're certainly concerned about it, right? Because because what? He, so let's continue, and we'll get into that. So Corliss, um, the king says he's not prepared to start a war with the free cities, and Corliss fires back that these are pirates. These are not the free cities, and the king rebuffs him and says, "Who do you think funds them?" So mm-hmm. now my question to you, Spencer, is: Are you with the king on? Because basically, what the king is saying is, I because the the crab feeder and his gang are funded by the free cities. And I guess he takes tolls and he pays the free cities and whatever. Therefore, they are an extension of the free cities. And what I would venture to say is they, they're not. I mean, I think that there's a, the free cities have, a, from what I can tell, a vested economic interest in this guy disrupting the shipping lanes, taking shit, fucking up the pirates and giving them money. But I'm not sure that they have like basically enlisted him in their army. I would not conflate... The, the crab feeder, Kragos Drehar, and his band with the Free City simply because there's a funding stream. I, I think the proposals that we're getting are too extreme in either direction from each side. There is a compromise in the middle that nobody's voicing here. Because I agree with you. The show is setting this up that the triarchy isn't like directly claiming ownership of the Stepstones through this guy. They're funding him basically to test how much they can push and mess with Westeros. So right. to see how much they can expand their own influence. They're coming, coming for the king. And they are... Not too worried about missing, I don't think. So the king's proposal is, I'm going to go talk to the, the to the free cities that aren't the triarchy. I'm going to go talk to Pentos. I'm going to go talk to Volantis. I'm going to try to get them to work with me to basically get the triarchy to make this guy stop. That's his plan. It's reasonable. The issue is, is it looks, in the meantime, your ships are getting basically taken with impunity. Corliss's plan is, we take the stepstones and make them ours. My problem with that plan is, that almost mm-hmm. has to... That's what he said. No, he said he said he's to go get this crab feeder. I didn't hear him say we take the stepstones and keep them necessarily. I think what he was saying is we go take this fucker out. That's what I heard. If that's the case, that's a reasonable scenario. My interpretation of what he said was let's go claim them so that this, these kind of pirates can't operate. If that's what he's doing, that's probably a line in the sand too far for the triarchy to accept because that's shifting the balance of power in the narrow sea. If they're just going to do a show of force, get a fleet ready, defend their ships, attack the pirates that are causing problems, there's only so much the Triarchy can necessarily say about that. It's as if the Triarchy gets concerned that Westeros is trying to expand their sphere of influence, that then they kind of have to respond. Lord Beesbury, who is giving off major Pycelle vibes to me, he does a lot of, oh dear, oh dear, oh, oh, very much oh dear, oh, 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 oh. oh. In all the history, he says, in all the history of the Seven Kingdoms, we've never entered a war with the Free Cities. He says that if this happens, the losses would be incalculable. And then we see a shot of Rhaenyra listening intently. Corliss then focuses in on Beesberry. I'm going to say this. 
just this is how astute I am, Spencer. Oh yeah, yeah. this is how smart I am. I'm listening. I don't think Corliss Valerian is scared, scared of Lord Beesbury. No, no, I don't. I don't think he could even fake being scared of Lord Beesbury if it was required to him by the situation. He just squares on him and yeah. looks at him. He starts walking toward them and says, "What reason do we have? What reason does the crab feeder have?" To fear us, we are doing fair. fucking nothing. And the king's Very fair. Then he points out because he's Corlys Valerian, the king's mm-hmm. own brother has been allowed to seize Dragonstone and fortify it with his army of gold cloaks. Damon has apparently been there for half a year without protest from the crown. This is when time we jump. get. This is when we get clued in that it's been a six month time jump between episode one and episode two. Otto grinning because he thinks that Corliss has misstepped here. At least that was my interpretation of his grin. Says, I caution you, Lord Corliss, a seat at the king's table does not make you his equal. Great line, potential line of the episode. I will say this. I hate fucking Otto Hightower. Mm -hmm. I hate him in my bones. But this actor is pretty charming. Oh, yeah. He's a great actor. He's fucking me up. Yeah. He, He... he has a certain debonair about him. He has a, a, yeah. cal, a calm resolve about what, everything that he says that almost goes, huh, that is really sage advice, Otto. Thank you. Exactly. I, I find myself being like, God, that, that, that yeah, that's, uh, no, 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 fuck you, Otto Hightower. I don't like you. <laughs> I don't like Otto Hightower. Let me say that over and over again. But man, this, this actor is so smooth. I think he's what, debonair, regal, that mm-hmm. like, when he drops shit like that, I'm like, ugh. But anyway. He's not wrong also. Corliss. There's, there's consistent tension in this episode on the subject of Corliss views himself almost an independent domain that cooperates with the crown. And to create the crown is not cooperating, Corliss is going to do his own thing. That's why so many people have made the comparison of Otto Hightower to... Um, Tywin? Tywin Lannister. Yeah. But I really think the comparison is Tywin Lannister to Corliss Valerian because Tywin, when he was in Robert's small council... Mm-hmm. He also had the Mad Mad King. No, no, not he. I guess he wasn't in Robert's small council. But when Robert was king, yes, he viewed himself as a sort of independent entity to Robert. Like, yeah, I don't think he ever felt subjugated to Robert Baratheon in the same way that I'm not quite sure Corlys Valerian feels subjugated to fucking Viserys Targaryen. Like, I I think there is a comparison there in the power dynamic, or at least how Corlys views it and how uh, Lannister viewed it uh, at the time. Tywin Lannister viewed it at the time. Interesting point, yeah. The king then says he has acted. Mm-hmm. Let me, Spencer, check out the big, big, resounding, huge action that the king has done. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. He sent an envoy to Pintos and Volantis. Oh, but, you know, which, okay, in fairness, as said, not a bad idea. It's something you probably want to be doing if this new triarchy is formed. Talk to the other free cities that are not part of it. Good idea to build up some alliance with them. This is something you do before ships start being taken. Though. Yeah, this is like he's, he, he, he feels like a, he's like two steps. Yeah, he's like two steps behind. Um, so anyway, he sent envoy to Penos and Valandis to see if we could find common cause. The king then says that ships and men are at the ready. The camera then starts to focus in on Rhaenyra. The king says the stepstones will be settled in time, effectively trying to end the conversation. Then Rhaenyra enters the chat and says, "You have dragon riders, father." And it's a total neck crank situation. You're here? Total surprise to the small council. So what that tells me is that in these six months, while Rhaenyra has been the named heir and she continues to be the cupbearer, which Rhaenys points out that power dynamic later, Mm -hmm. she really hasn't been participating in the small council at all. 
No. She's not been really treated as an actual heir. It's not an heir apparent. She hasn't been received, you know, the aspect of training, background, experience, hands-on exposure to ruling the realms like at all. She's still just the cupbearer. Corliss is very intrigued by this, though, and Rhaenyra goes on. She has to be sent to the Stepstones to deal with the situation with the other dragon riders. Basically, send me. Send your dragon riders. We will go, and we will bring them. Where are we going to bring them, Spencer? We'll bring them fire and blood. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, King does not like this. However, I would like to posit that it's a pretty fucking good idea because she doesn't have to go and just rain fire down on everybody. Honestly, if you take two or three dragons and you just show the fuck up, (laughs) I would imagine you break the army pretty quick. Like people get really worked up when they see a dragon. So I think it's a pretty solid idea. And what it seems to me is that the king is dismissing her. Not necessarily because of the idea, but because it's Renera who is even who is even daring to speak. Like it seems to me that he has named her heir. However, he still views her as the Six. little the little girl who shouldn't be talking. And yes. so, like, there's a there's a problem with what he's doing because he's saying he's trying to present to the realm, "This is my heir." Take gender out of it. Yet when he's deliberating in the small council, he clearly is still being influenced by her gender. I, I agree that there's a lot going into several of his interactions with her throughout the course of this episode. Their dinner later is just that in spades. Um, I also don't think that Viserys is the guy that sends the Seventh Fleet to a hostile air, to a hostile zone. I just don't think that he's the guy that is willing to use effectively military force to wave the flag to get people to cow into, in, into submission. It's just not in his playbook to bring to bear. Right. But Rhaenyra pointed out in the first episode that the Targaryens are kings because of their dragons. And he agreed. And he agreed. And she is just, she's just connecting those dots, right? Yes. Um, so anyway, Corliss likes this idea. He says, well, at least the princess has a plan. He looks intrigued. He's smiling at her. Everybody else looks down. Rhaenyra then sensing that her father's upset says, I only mean that perhaps an auto cuts her off and says, maybe there's some other way we can use Rhaenyra's talents. The king tells Harold to take the princess to see the new Kingsguard posting. Which, honestly, it's also a big deal. It's a clear you need to leave the room now, but they should have given her that job to even start. Yeah, the timing is off, right? Because I feel yes. like if he'd have started the whole conversation with, hey, you're going to pick the new Kingsguard, I think she would have been thrilled. Yeah. But instead, it seems like a, hey, fuck off move, you know. Mm-hmm. Harold says he'd be happy to. Rhaenyra doesn't look happy. The king does say that he's uh, she's allowed to choose the next king guard. Uh, as she leaves, the king looks irritated. Cut to Rhaenyra judging the king's guard candidates. We have Sir Desmond Caron, his claim mm-hmm. to fame, as he brought a, a wood, brought a would-be poacher to justice. Oh, I, I'm thoroughly impressed, aren't you? Uh, I am. You know who isn't? Rhaenyra. Uh, <laughs> she stays quiet. And... Here's the thing. She's so unimpressed with this guy that it doesn't even occur her to thank him. It doesn't occur to her to thank him. I, I, I love that Otto felt the need to leave the small council meeting and shadow, shadow her doing during this. And as you said, he has to whisper in her ear, thank him for his loyal service. Hey, thank you for your loyal service. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. She, she's so unimpressed with the guy. It, it, it doesn't even occur to her to think. By the way, Otto, piece of shit, don't like Otto Hightower. Very good move for him to accompany her to this. Very yeah. smart. Very smart. But, I mean, effectively, I mean, if it wasn't Otto Hightower, you would actually view it as being a nice gesture on his point to provide that kind of mentoring influence over what is really what we, th- I think, fair to say, 
probably her first like royal appointment to manage this. That is you being used very, very liberal with that word mentoring again. I'm not telling you, it's consistent. It It is consistent across all the podcast platforms. One visual I do love, I love that she has to step up on a box to then be seen up the crowd. It's a great showing of this is still a girl that is learning how to play at the pageantry. Uh, yeah, Renera stays quiet. She finally does thank him for his service after Otto suggests it. And then we get the next person, Sir Ryman Malister. Malister should be bigger uh, deal. A, a name that you notice uh, from Seaguard. Malister's from Seaguard. He apparently won a melee. So that's actually, that is a step up to me than, a, okay. than dealing with a would-be poacher. That's a step up if you won a melee. Against 23 other knights. This guy can fight. This shouldn't be dismissed. This guy is able to hold his own against equal and equivalent peers. Should not be dismissed. However, my queen, Rhaenyra, does indeed dismiss it. She cuts him off and says, look, do any of these fucking guys have actual combat experience? Besides capturing poachers, of course. Now, here's the reality. Is that, no, like, you kind of want Otto to pull her aside and go, hey, queen, we haven't had war since Magor. Like, we have been in a prolonged period of peace. We, there's no battle. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we yeah. haven't been at war. Yeah, there, there have been limited engagements referred to as the Dor- the Dornish Wars that have been happening Excursions. over the course of things. There, one, one recently was, I think it was like the third or fourth Dornish War, which essentially was three Targaryen dragons obliterated a fleet. And that was the entire war. Hasn't been as much time for like active like whole armies marching the battle. There have been border battles though, and so they got one guy there they can turn to who has fought the Dornish before. And in a wonderful, wonderful moment of kismet, the universe aligning planets all together, the man who steps forward, who has had a little bit of combat experience in the fact so, that he was a yes. foot so- foot soldier during some battle. Dornish incursions. The Dornish incursion is Sir Kristen Cole. Now, Sir Kristen Cole, you should remember him from the first episode. He is the man that did indeed knock Daemon Targaryen off of his horse and gain, gain the favor of Rhaenyra Targaryen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rhaenyra likes him. Rhaenyra was looking for him, too, in that crowd. I'm, be- I'm thinking she was betting. Let's narrow this down real quick. Yeah, and the fact that he steps forward, it had to be just like the lottery. She just, you know, just doing that scratch off and hits, hits the hundred bucks at the gas station. Renera likes him. She leaned, I love the actress so much. This, uh, Alcock is her last name, I believe. Yeah. She leaned, like, the playful nature, like, she changes, but her, her whole body changes mm-hmm. when, it, when she's dealing with Sir Kristen Cole. She leans over, her shoulders slump, her, her hands go in front of her, her lists go rip. Uh, her her wrists go limp like she's completely uh playful and flirtatious in a way that she wasn't just 10 seconds ago mm-hmm. the queenly mask falls for a bit because here's a cute boy it's coming in front of her yeah uh he says i fought for a few years as a foot soldier against the dornish incur dornish incursions and at this point in westeros history as we discussed it's about the best you're going to get mm-hmm. she then turn looks at otto and says i choose sir kristen cole otto goes hey, la, 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 la. let's not be too hasty Houses such as Crackord and Malister are important allies of the crown. Seaguard, for instance, is the realm's prime defense against reavers from the Iron Islands. He's not wrong. He's not wrong, but he's focused on the political aspect of the King's Guard rather than the practical one. Which, which, by the way, Otto Hatzauer, piece of shit, don't like him. That is his role as yes. Hand of the King. Like, so he is doing his job. He's absolutely doing his job is to point out the political implications. She just simply fires back. That's not the priority here. My father should be defended by somebody with real combat experience. Don't you agree? He realizes she's going to dig her heels in on this, and he relents and says, sure. So they go with Sir Kristen Cole. So there you go. Welcome to the King's Guard, Sir Kristen Cole. 
I'm sure this one. You have a you have a life of chastity now, so you'll never have sex again. No big deal. Uh, there's a guy named Mushroom that may have an alternative view on that point. We will find out. Uh, I I do love the acting from the two other actors with her. I agree. The actress who plays Rhaenyra does wonderfully. The two other actors that are with her, I love when she asks, is there anybody here with combat experience? They both immediately almost slump their shoulders, roll their eyes, and say, oh, God, here comes Kristen Cole. Because they know exactly what this is setting up. Yep. Cut to the king in his chambers with who? Ooh, Allison Hightower. That's right. So in the six months, it looks like, for six months, it seems... Allison has been going to the king's chambers to keep him company. That's a long time to be having these little nightly discussions or daily discussions. Hey, she likes his miniatures. And he's looking at the stone miniature of Valeria that the stone masters have helped to make, apparently. Mm. Um, Stone masons have helped to make. Which is gorgeous. I would actually love to be able to make something like that in my basement someday in the future. Yeah, he explains that the Valerian capital was built into a volcano. Hmm. Hmm might not have been a good idea because it if i remember correctly the doom of valeria while talked about as some magical thing that occurred because man dared deal with dragons in reality was what six volcanoes going off at once is that what it was we don't know i'm gonna emphasize that the volcanoes exploding was certainly part of it there is an issue now that other than on the show which we're gonna ignore the shit out of that uh you can't go to valeria only person people who go to Valeria come back wrong or dead or have weird snake-like things growing inside them. Uh, so volcanoes may have blown up, but there is some magical issue going on there too. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that uh, my my theory is that it was they built their capital into the into a fucking volcano, which is you exactly what he described, and uh, probably not a good idea. But apparently, they did the same thing at Dragonstone. He says the dragon lords, the highest of the nobility, lived at the volcanic face closest to the source of their magic and power. Magic? Magic? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I'm not I'm not arguing that there wasn't magic. There is magic, right? Because the the tie between the the Valerian uh the dragon riders and the dragons. I'm sure. arguing that the doom itself was, was just probably, volcanoes going probably just volcanoes going nuclear. That's my argument. Uh he says and this was the Anogrian which I looked it up. This has never been said before, ever. This is a new word for us. Yeah, it absolutely is. Hence my uh, difficulty saying it. What is it? Anogrian. Apparently, it's where the blood mages worked their craft. That's, that's the limit of my knowledge on the that's subject. That's right. So basically, you know, there's this... Apparently in Valyria, there was this area where there were blood mages and they worked, quote, their craft. And what I think that... My theory here, I'm just spouting off theories here on Valyria, but I think that the blood mages are the ones that tied the blood of the dragon riders to the dragons that made because obviously if there's something about targaryen blood that resonates with the dragons i mean fucking Rhaegal could sniff out john snow like literally sniffed him and it was yeah. like oh there he is so it's it's something to do with the blood i think that that's what these blood mages were doing i i very much agree we've heard before about about valerian flesh pits and things like that where they were working and manipulating the bodies and uh, genetics of slaves. So clearly the Valerians were used magic and otherwise to change how Oof. humans or other animals worked. It's very possible they actually just made dragons. We're not quite sure. Found them, adjusted them, all kinds of things. A lot of different theories go each way. So this is factoring into the fact that, hey, Valeria, though as much as Viserys idolizes it, was not a great place for anyone who wasn't Valerian, and even a lot of people that were. 
Yeah, I mean, Alicent says that what he's built is wondrous, but the king reminds her that the stonemasons built it. He just looked over the histories and advised. Now, I, I, I wanted to get to the end of that because I did have a point here, which is it does seem that the king, Viserys, has for some time and probably into his youth, based on which dragon he decided to try to ride, mm-hmm. has pined for old Valeria. He clear, clearly idolizes it, clearly has a nostalgia for old Valeria. And it's an example of people always wanting what they can't have. It's just this mm-hmm. human, this un, unfortunate human condition of no matter what you have, you always want the thing that's not in your grasp. I mean, this is a man who literally controls the entire fucking continent. And what does he want? The one thing he can't have, which was something that was 400 years ago. Like, yeah. It, 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 it's sad, really, because it's like it, it's this inability of most humans to be able to just appreciate what they have and not constantly want more, constantly want more. Well, it's one of the things I really – Viserys is an interesting character. He's very complicated. He's got a lot of different, different facets. I love that his flaws are so damn human and so damn common in terms of how they express themselves and how they play out. And this one, in terms of idolizing a past that didn't actually exist – Oh, Lord, is that common in the real world? Oh, Lord, does everybody go through that to a certain degree, whether they lived it or imagined it or not? And Yeah, and it is something that, like, I think that, like, people should always work toward, which is work toward not wanting what they can't have. Work mm-hmm. toward being happy with what they do have. And it seems like Viserys never really got the memo. So Alison asked if they'll ever get back to the glory of old Valyria. And I think because this was already a short episode... Viserys couldn't just say no, and instead he had to give four lines that meant absolutely nothing, which was, well, it depends on if you're talking about old Valyria, right, before the door. No, and then he finally sums it all up with, well, no, we're never going to get back to that, because there were literally thousands of fucking dragons in old Valyria. There were tons of dragon riders. They had wealth and technology beyond any scale that we see in Westeros. Mm-hmm. It was almost like two different worlds. Can you, because you think about what Westeros was at the time of Valyria, and what we know what we know of valeria it is insane it's a it's new york city and mississippi i mean sorry if any of our listeners are from mississippi but you see what i'm trying to say it, it martin is very much channeling the idea of atlantis this just magically powerful incredibly technological advanced society that was incredibly far above anything else in the world and then disappeared overnight and they got pompeii yes very much that kind of scenario yeah. In, you can very clearly see all the elements of that being channeled in them, and particularly in how Viserys views them. So in episode one, we had Rhaenyra literally take a page out of the book. Of Nymeria, yes. Of Nymeria. In this episode, we have Viserys holding a dragon model and literally oh. dra- literally breaks the dragon. <laughs> yes. Literally Himself, uh, no imagery there. Breaks no imagery. the fucking dragon. Anyway, Allison picks it up and hands it back to him, and their hands touch for a moment. Oh, what could this mean? The king notices it too. He notices their little moment. He tries to move on. He asks about Rhaenyra and how she's doing. King mentions that they don't really talk about personal matters. Shocker to me. I mean, I just thought they were probably hamming it up every night. They seem very close. Allison <laughs> recommends he go talk. He go talk to her directly. The king says. There are times when I'd rather face the black dread himself than mine own daughter of 15. Now that is a, that is a funny line, blah, 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 blah. But it does underlie the king is so uncomfortable with dragons. I mean, his own yeah. fucking dragon, the one that Was he, Valerian. the one that he rode, he uses as the pole for what he would rather not do. 
Like yeah. that is that's the the point of comparison for a thing I would the last thing on earth I'd rather do is ride his own dragon. This man, he you know he, he's like he's like the the dragon bane before the dragon bane. He really doesn't like the dragons. If you want to talk about being afraid in your like being scared of your own skin and being un- uncomfortable in your own skin, this guy is afraid. Doesn't want to use. Doesn't want to be around the very basis of his power. How can that be sustainable? No, it's very strange. Uh, she laughs at this. Allison says that Rhaenyra would open herself up to him if only he would approach her. She, it, it, it was, I, I would have reworked that line. I'm just going to tell you, but I think what, <laughs> what they mean here mm. is that she would just open, open up and be honest, basically. Um, really, really wouldn't have phrased it that way. The king then <laughs> yeah. tells her, uh, if she tells Rhaenyra about their talks, uh, ask her, do you tell Rhaenyra about our talks? And Allison says, no, but she looks a little bewildered. And I think this is the part. Where Allison realizes that the king is thinking that this is more than just a chat. Because why else would he say, please don't tell my daughter about this? And Allison has that, has a, a physical reaction to him questioning, hey, you're, you're not telling my daughter about this, are you? It's hard to unpack how much Allison is involved in her father's plans or not when it comes to this show, when this episode. Oh, I don't know about the plans, but it, it seems to me that she noticed something in the king in that moment. Yeah, maybe this is her first realization. Yeah, the king's actually kind of into me and views this differently than I may have hoped. Maybe I was hoping I could write this off as just being we're buddies and I'm providing him comfort. Oh shit, he actually views this. I'm not sure it's a no shit. I think she might like the king. I look. I I don't know. Let me let me just let me just go on record here as if I have to do this that I'm not cool with like a 50 year old and a 15 year old. I am not. She's I'm probably not. 17, which is so much better, I guess. I'm still not cool with that. But my point is, is that in this world and what we're seeing on screen, it does seem like they have a connection. Eh, I mean, they have more of a connection or at least more of a, you know, aspect of relationship than the other alternatives that were given. But I'm going to note, watch poor uh, Allison's cuticles over the course of this episode. That poor girl has dealing with such stress issues that she is picking them bloody at every possible opportunity. And particularly when she's interacting with the king or talking with her father, her hands are constantly just tearing at herself. That is the last time I will allow you to call Allison poor Allison in my presence without me I, I, fucking I, I, tackling you. <laughs> I think I'm going to be obliged with how pro-team black you are. I'm going to have to eventually be pro-green, and I feel dirty saying it, but we're yeah. going to find out. Fuck that. Cut to a church-like structure. I've seen a lot of people uh misnaming this the great sept of baylor this is not the great sept of baylor because baylor has not been born it's a king baylor the blessed it's not been born yet much less become king much less build his great sept so this is just a church it's actually kind of fun we actually don't know we don't have a name for what this church is because the pride the the great sept of baylor which is going to be built all decades after this and destroyed decades after that it destroyed that thank you cersei uh, and then beforehand, there was a great sept in King's Landing that Magor destroyed. And so we have like, they had to have built something in the 70 years just since. Just a church. Then. Just a we church. We just don't know what it's named. Church of the Seven. That's what I'm going to call it. Sure. In this church, Alicent and Rhaenyra are talking and Rhaenyra is complaining about how they are trying to marry her father off. Alicent, well, you can't worry at the matter of lords and kings, Rhaenyra. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, that's Allison. kind of the that's kind of the point, Allison. Is that yeah? She kind of does. She's the heir to the Iron Throne. She does need to worry about those things. Allison, the show's called Game of Thrones. What show do you think you're on? Allison then says it doesn't matter if her father remarries. He loves her, and he will choose her for his heir, no matter uh, what happens. Uh, uh, maybe. 
Renera with a um, a very like Spencer like take, uh, just seeing the negative says he didn't choose me. He spurned Damon. I mean, yeah, look at that sympathy from Spencer. It's it's like seeing the worst side of it. Now, is there an element of truth there? Yes, but he also did name her heir. I mean, he did. Yes, he did. And he said a lot of nice things when he did it too. Now, the last six months haven't been great in terms of showing that he's serious about that. But you know, focus on the good. Allison asked Rhaenyra to kneel with her. It's obvious Rhaenyra isn't the kneeling and praying ty- praying type. She, she, I mean, her dragon is named after one of the old Valyrian gods. Methinks that Rhaenyra isn't really that big into the Seven. No, not at all. Uh, Allison says, I find this a way to be with Mother. In the quiet of the Sept, I feel close to her. I know it sounds foolish. Rhaenyra says, it doesn't sound foolish. It doesn't sound foolish. Allison suggests she try it. Rhaenyra looks confused, but she's willing to try. So she lights a candle. Gotta tell you, candle makers in King's Landing, making out. Oh, yeah. Making out. We see a lot of candles. Rhaenyra... Ask her what to say, and Allison says, you say whatever you wish. It's only for you and the gods to know. So Rhaenyra sits down and I guess starts praying because she does start to cry. And as she starts mm-hmm. to cry, Allison touches her arm. Rhaenyra says, I want him to, or her arm. Allison says, I want him to see me as more than a little girl. Allison says that when she wishes to talk to her father, Otto Hightower, she knows that she must make the effort. That sounds like good, friendly advice. However... She's giving that advice because she has regular conversations with the other party involved here and Renera doesn't know about it. I will say this. If you caught a little bit of romantic vibes between Allison and Renera in this scene, it was on purpose. Uh, the actresses yeah. have said that they, the, their interpretation of the script of the characters is that there is a romantic interest between these two yeah. characters. I am totally willing to accept that. There's at least a flirtation. They're that kind of semi-romantic friends that you, you, you particularly were almost celebrated during that era and for, you know, centuries afterwards. Um, you think they cuddle? We saw them cuddle in, in, in the Godswood with the Weirwood. Uh, Rhaenyra had her head on uh, Allison's lap. Hmm, okay. So it, 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 it's, it's a good, I like this scene in part because this is kind of their last moment that we really see between the two of them of where they're just buddies and there's not baggage attached to it. So I like these moments we had between it. I honestly wish we got more of them before events unfold by the end of this episode. You don't think they'll be cuddling after this episode? I think that it will be difficult for them to cuddle in the same way that they did before. How about that? Well, we know from the trailer that at some point, Allison tries to stab Rhaenyra with a fucking knife. So I, I, I think yeah. it does go yeah. sideways. I, uh, I don't don't judge how certain people cuddle, sir. That's true. I don't, I don't mean to kink shame. Cut to Viserys <laughs> meeting with Rhaenys and Corlys, apparently. This was the king's idea to meet. He says, thank you for agreeing to meet with me. Here is my fucking problem with this. Mm-hmm. I'm king. I am team sea snake. I know you are. But he storms into the small council meeting. He lays the king out. He's completely rude to him. And then the king asks to meet with him afterwards. If there is a suspect power dynamic between the two, I dare venture that Viserys is feeding into it. I got to ask you, sir. Corliss Valerian is a diplomat. How would you score him based on this episode? That's a I know really, he's your guy. So that's a guy. really that's a really hard question because I, I, th- I think he's probably better than we see. I think that he just doesn't have a lot of respect for for Viserys. So I, I don't know. I mean, I I think part of what we're seeing is he doesn't look particularly diplomatic, but that's because he thinks he's dealing with a very weak king because of 
all of the signs that he's getting that he's dealing with a very weak king. I think, I think we're seeing two different means of interacting with Viserys play out between the Sea Snake and Otto Hightower. Of where the Sea Snake's looking at Viserys and going, this is a weak king, I've got to browbeat him to do the right thing. Otto Hightower is looking at, this is a weak king, I need to subtly manipulate him to do whatever the hell I want. And I think we see in this episode what's the more successful way of managing Viserys. So Viserys says, I know tempers ran hot, but I value the bond between our two houses. Rainey's is my favorite cousin, after all. Spencer, do you have a, any problem with Rainey's being his favorite cousin? Mm, how, how do you mean him? Isn't Emma Aaron his fucking cousin? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I think so. I think because she has Targaryen. She's she has Targaryen blood. The, the, the oh, sorry. Her. Yes. Now I understand your point. Yeah, I'm with you now. His fucking uh, wife was his cousin. Wouldn't you let, think his wife would be his favorite cousin? Come on. Come on, King. She's dead. He's getting ready to move on. Damn. Let's be okay with this. Damn. Hey, everybody's telling him this episode, let the dead be dead. You've got duties, sir. Just saying. Rainey's my favorite cousin. Come on. I find um, Viserys to be particularly weak all the way around in this conversation. He just seems to be... The, he, he seems he, to be... He's and, on and, the back and, foot. I, and I know this because I'm this person. He's the person that's trying to make sure everybody's happy in the conversation. It's what Viserys does, period. He is the and that's king not that what wants you make wa- everybody happy. That's not what you want. That's not what you need out of king. It's a real problem. Viserys acknowledges that Corlys's fleet is one of the most important in the realm, but that it's his job as king to avoid war until such time as it is unavoidable. I agree with that statement. I also agree that he should go deal with the Stepstones. Uh-huh. Corlys asked to speak plainly, which I find hilarious, because the whole point of this whole little meeting is that he spoke a little bit too plainly before, but now he wants to speak plainly again. Point in Viserys' favor, we see him in the course of this episode seeking honest advice from all of his advisors. This is a guy that tries to listen and court advice from people he trusts. Whether he can actually trust them, different question. But he really is a guy that actually wants to listen to those around him. The king says, yeah, that's fine. And Corlys says he thinks the eyes of their enemies are fixed on the Red Keep, meaning they're coming for you, sir. Uh-huh. He lists all the things going wrong. The queen is dead. Her girl's been named as heir. His disinherited brother has... Stole, Dragonstone. Stolen Dragonstone with an army of his own power. And now a foreign power has established a colony in their most critical shipping lane. And let's remember, taking Dragonstone is a very important gesture. Dragonstone is the seat of the air. This should be Rhaenyra's right now, and Damon's the one squatting in it. Yep, exactly. You paint such an inspiring portrait of my reign, Lord Corliss. So here's, here's the problem, right? Is that Viserys, instead of actually internalizing what he's saying... Instead, doesn't like how he doesn't like how it sounds in this particular conversation. Like, fuck how it sounds. Fuck your feelings in this moment, Viserys. Internalize what he's saying and act on it in the long run. That's what I would say. But Rainey speaks up and says, look, my husband's just homeboy's just being honest. My husband's just being honest. He's just telling you what you need to know. She says the crown is perceived as weak. Viserys questions how muscling up in the stepstones will fix that. Corliss to a lord. Oh man, Corliss is the best. What a line! Potential line of the episode, Spencer. Big comedy. Jot it down. To a lord, to a storm. You can either sail into it or around it, but you must never await its coming. Which is advice that Viserys needs to take to heart, because his standard way of responding to any problem is, "How can I tread the water just a little bit longer?" And here's the thing: I don't know. I know fuck all about ships, but that sounds right. Uh, yeah. I, 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 
basically is saying, dude, you got to do something. You have just to sit you, here you have to pl- nothing. Yeah, you have to plan to hit the storm. Yes. Or you have to get away from it, but you can't let the storm hit you unawares. Yeah. Viserys asked him what his specific course of action would be. Well, I'm pretty sure he just gave you one a little while ago, but now he's got a new one. Corliss then proposes. Here it is, Spencer. You ready? You ready? The big marriage proposal of this particular episode, Corliss says, hey, you should marry my oldest daughter. Oldest? Oldest, Spencer? So yeah. No problem, because she's the oldest daughter, right? Yeah, probably like 25, 30. Easily. You know, old, the oldest. Yeah. Corliss then proposes... Um, that this would unite the two houses, the two remaining houses from old Valyria. And this would be smart with the Valyrian fleet and the Targaryen dragons. You'll show the world that the crown's strongest days are ahead. The king demurs. She says he hadn't thought much about marriage, but Rainey speaks up. She doesn't play. Mm-mm. Really Olena vibes from Rainey's this episode. Lady Olena vibes strong. Says the realm expects him to take a new wife and to make new heirs. Basically, get a new wife, start fucking quick. It's says, duty. Yep. Says he could not ask for a stronger match than Lena. Lena Targaryen or uh, Lena Valerian is his oldest daughter. And it's we're going to have a lot of people talk about this potential proposal. At this stage, how did you look at what they were saying? Seemed reasonable. It seemed perfectly reasonable. They hit the high points. They marketed this as we want to be closer to you. We want to bolster the realm with you. We're here to help you. This is the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's self-serving, but it also did seem like it would help a little bit. But I I also knew that we had seen – I noticed Lena in the previous episode. So I I knew how old she was. But I think that most – I think the reason you asked that question is because most people in the audience don't remember seeing Lena in the the last episode. The little girl off scene, yeah. Exactly. And so they're thinking, yeah, she must be – like we just were joking about. must be 2025, something like that. Cuts of a series and uh, and Renera eating dinner. Oh, this is not, I'll tell you this. This is not Tyrion and Cersei level awkward, awkward dinner. It's not that, but it certainly isn't good. C- credit to the audio engineer. I love that we hear crickets chirping because it is, there's so much silence between them that crickets are chirping in the background. Well, Rhaenyra, fresh off her discuss- discussion with Allison and Allison telling her, you have to make the effort. She does make the effort. She says, look, we haven't spoken much since. And Viserys says it's a regret of his. They should be able to speak their minds to each other. He says, I loved your mother very much, Rhaenyra, so did, as did I. Rhaenyra moves on, says, Sir Harold brought them a lot of fine tourney nights, which got a chuckle out of her father. Mm-hmm. But Sir Kristen was the only one with battle experience. Viserys, to his credit, he delegated that decision, and he is totally fine with her decision. I will mm-hmm. give him that credit. That was that was a good move on his part. Uh, well, great. Now, now go into the bad before the conversation's done. <laughs> Yep, she brings up the small council, and he says, Pat, no mind, you're young. But here's the thing. She wasn't apologizing. No. She was trying to open it back up for discussion because she does think she has a good point, and I also think she has a great point, which is show your dragons. Show what you have, because mm-hmm. all you got to do is show those fuckers, and a lot, I'm not sure that the crab feeder would back off. He seems nuts, but a lot of people that are backing the crab feeder will back off when you show the dragons. Yeah, I really don't understand his point here is that she tries to bring it up and he cuts her off and she's like, but I, I think I had a point. He says, you're young. You will learn. It's like, dad, I'm trying to try to learn right now. Yeah. Like how you, how about you teach me? And that's why I thought it was gendered. Like I, I feel like he has named her heir because he has nobody else. 
And he's not treating her like an heir because she's a woman. He won't even have discussions with her about what he's thinking or if not what he's thinking, at least role play with her a little bit about what she's thinking, right? Like let her say her idea, critique it, go back and forth and train her that way. But he shows no interest in doing that. I I agree. I think it's one of the, he frames it as being like, it's your age. I still see you as a little kid, but I can't picture him treating a son, same same age as she is, in anything resembling the same way. He He wouldn't wouldn't infantilize her, infantilize him to the same degree. It's absolutely gendered. I I really believe that because he's too dismissive. Anyway, cut to the king's wound on his left pinky finger being treated. So we talked about this. We talked about this during the reaction podcast. So in the books, Viserys slips, tries to catch himself on the Iron Throne, and cuts himself deep to the bone. What's so weird about how they've done it in the show is that he literally just nicked himself. Wow, so he's rotting. So here, so one of two things is occurring. <clears throat> one, he's diabetic. <laughs> he's having trouble. Yeah, he's having or, you know or gout or something like that. Yeah, he's diabetic and he's not scabbing over because of that. Or two, Malos is the worst maester of all time. Which, which, which I don't think is the case. I mean, it's one of the things of where they're either going just straight up symbolic that he's effect that he like the realm looks fine on the surface but is rotting inside, and also the thrones rejecting him. Or B, they're almost implying that somebody's poisoning the king. Which, sure, maybe I don't know. See, I <clears throat> I think they're going with the first one, right? I think they're going with yes. What Corliss said, which is people have their eyes on the red keep that the, the the crown. Through his his leadership specifically is rotting slowly, through indecision, through weakness, and through just fucking up just random shit. Like he's yeah. do, he does this entire episode, by the way. Yeah. But I do think there probably is a medical reason for what's going on. That's the metaphorical, like literary song of ice and fire. Doesn't that sound really nice? Hey, the 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 that we call it the dance of dragons, right? Yeah, but then yeah. but then you have the Stannis, which is like. Why do you call it a dance? That's stupid, right? It's like dragons there, kill each other. Yeah, exactly. Like there's the there's the real answer, which is the fact that Valeria had four fucking volcanoes and that, like no th- magic. Yes. It was magic. Yeah. So the real answer, I think, is the king's diabetic. That's what I'm going with. It's perfectly possible. It also just is again, we're we're in a world that is pre antibiotics. Something I do love. I, I, I we talked about. I think it was seasons. antibiotics. I love antibiotics. Aren't they great? Yeah, they're great. We don't see them as much in the you know the pre-penicillin kind of era, so let's just keep a track of that. Uh, but I do love. We talked about like season six, seven that they kind of just how great like, they y- were. No, we kind of yada yada like how medicine works in Westeros. That Sam just kind of heals Jorah from Grayscale just through ancient band practices. I do love that these two episodes. And determ- pluck and determination is how he did it, Spencer. I think they described that perfectly well on screen. Okay. I love that we got cauterization and maggots in these two episodes because now we're getting to see how actual medical practice in the period worked. I yeah, actually shout out love to that Mal- Yeah, though. shout out to Malos. Like, maggots is a really good idea here, right? Considering they don't it have actually is. Yeah, it's a pretty good idea, right? Actually, the best idea is to cut the digit off, but they apparently don't want to do that. that that's going to be the last That's going to be the last resort. And you pretty much warned the king that, okay, we're going to try this, and it does work. But if it doesn't, you are going down to nine, sir. It's the best I could do. Yeah, he's diabetic, and he needs to lay off the sweets. Uh, Viserys, while he's having the maggot treatment done, he is joined with by Otto and Melos. Melos is obviously doing the treatment, and then Otto, and by doing the treatment, I mean grabbing his hand and sticking it in the maggots. It's not <laughs> a very, maggots. it's not a very medicinal looking procedure. Did, and did then, they make the actor actually do that? Because it looks like they just said, "Okay, here's a pile of maggots." It looks like real maggots for sure. Yeah, just it absolutely stick does. Stick it in there. I'd love to see that on the behind the episode. Otto 
is there and the king brings up the fact that Corliss Valerian and Rainey's proposed marriage to Lena to him. Mm-hmm. He immediately jumps to Lord Corliss has overreached your grace. Such matters must be discussed with the small council. Viserys, a little irritated, says, that is what, I'm, what doing I'm doing presently. Otto gets the message. So what's going on here is that Otto is wholly against the king marrying anybody else because his plan is to have the king fall in love with Allison through their nightly chats. So he's trying to stiff arm this conversation. But Viserys is like, wait a second, dude. Why aren't you fucking engaging with me here? Otto does get it because he is a pretty sophisticated guy in that way. And then he does actually entertain the conversation. And to a certain degree, this is actually kind of a smart move on Viserys' part that he's like, if all my counselors in a room together, they're going to work off each other. They're going to be afraid to speak. I'm going to talk to each of them just kind of one-on-one or even just two of them together and see what they say when we're alone. That's actually a good strategy in terms of like seeing what people actually believe. I would have liked it if in one scene he was talking to, let's say, Lionel Strong, and he said, I'm going to marry the Stark girl. And then it cut, and then he was talking to Melis, and he said, I'm going to marry the Dornish girl. I'm and sorry, then- sir. Season two of Game of Thrones <laughs> is a long time ago. Uh, Otto gets the message. He realizes the king is considering it. Viserys says, so what is your advice, dear Otto? And Otto says... Yeah. Well, she's young. Melos jumps in and says, well, the wounds made by the Great Council still linger. What he's referencing here is the fact that Rhaenys, who had a, on paper, better claim, was not chosen because she was a woman, and that's pissed Rhaenys off and obviously pissed her husband, Corlys Valerian, off, and that they have some tension still there. And he, Melos, shout out to Melos, doesn't mind talking about the elephant in the room. He jumps right into it and he says, hey, look, you guys have tension that is longstanding, that's nine years old at this point. This match would go a long way towards sealing that breach and uniting the two great Valerian houses would signal unity across the realm. It would be good not only for you personally, but also for the realm. Otto says, well, that makes sense. I can't argue with that. The king brings up what Rhaenyra would think. Melos, who gives a fuck, basically, is what Melos says. (laughs) Who gives a fuck? He says that very fast and very particular. He says, I don't care. It doesn't matter what she thinks. Otto... Then out of cards to play. He's like pulls the all the David Blaine's it, pulls the card the ace out of the he, back he pocket. He pulls a hell of a card. And says, I dearly love my own lady wife. The pain of her passing still haunts me, and to be compelled to replace her for duty's sake. Oh, you're the king, but I do not envy you. Goddamn genius. I mean Otto Hightower is a guy that likes to have plans, you know, wheels within wheels, lots of plans in motion. He likes Machinations. to that's what he likes to have. This guy had all of his plans just kind of surprised in the moment, but he played speed chess at this situation brilliantly. But, he did, but Viserys still looked a little irritated with Otto. I, I this is a wonderful this is a wonderful scene. It's a wonderful conversation to unpack. I adore the fact that when Melos and Otto are talking, they're practically not even looking at the king. They are looking each other right in the eye. It's like it's like. This is two. This is two advisors understanding what the actual power behind the throne is, and having a conversation with each other about what's actually best for the realm, rather than you, dear Otto. Because Viserys believes that his little chats with Alicent are probably just him, Alicent, and maybe Otto know about them. But I guarantee you that Melos knows about it. Guarantee, as Charles Barkley would say. The, the looks that Melos is giving. Either the two of them are conspiring with each other, which I don't believe. No, I don't believe Melos, that. Melos is saying the things that the Otto Hightower does not want to have the king hear. Or Melos knows a lot that's going on and he's speaking to Otto Hightower more than he's speaking to the king right now. 
cut to Corliss watching his daughter walk and talk with the king. And it looks cartoonish. I mean, she's half his height. She's, she's, she's ridiculously young to be in this conversation. I mean, it's just like, I'll tell you this. I talked about in the reaction pod, the confidence of the show to go with this storyline. I honestly, like I, when they, they had the two on screen together. Mm Mm-hmm. I just got scared for the show. Like I'm like a protective, protective father here at this point. I was just terrified that the show was overreaching. It was overconfident and that it was going to lose a ton of people, you know, in the way that a lot of people claimed they were going to be out on the show after Ramsey Bolton abused Sansa, although they really weren't out. They on the lied. Show. Yeah. They weren't really out on the show, but like in the same way that like when that scene happened, I thought, uh Oh, I think they might be losing the audience. I was worried they were losing the audience here. And I'll tell you, I had an audience of two watching this show and they lost one of us because my wife was out on this fucking show until the end, until it was clear that the king was not going to marry this little girl. Cause my wife was sick of this shit. Like it, it disgusted her. And I think that's what they were going for. I think that's why they put them on screen together and showed them is to get the audience really rooting against the idea because it goes to what you've talked about many, many times on this podcast, Spencer. They have to give us a reason to like the high towers, like the greens, yes. root for that whole thing. And so by having us root against the Lena pairing, they de facto have us happy with the fact he chooses Allison at the end. Yeah, I have to believe that the- – this is something they planned out when they aged the characters differently because Lena in the books is 12. That is consistent. 12 going on 13-ish. The king, on the other hand, has been gone from like age 29 at that time to age, how old would you say the actor is? The, the character is 55? So he's supposed to be like late 30s in the book, and I think that the actual actor is late 40s. Yeah, so they have significantly aged up the difference to make it look even more unappealing. I mean, Viserys' reasons in the book were also the same thing. The age difference was a problem. And I thought they beautifully both filmed this and acted this to basically provide a certain degree of commentary of, this is how things worked. We are not saying they were okay. We are pointing out how utterly problematic this was for most of uh, human history, Western history included. I thought Twitter was going to explode. Didn't I? It it did not. It did not. No. But, I was wrong about that, but people people were able to see what exactly what you're talking about. I think most people. Yeah, a beautiful bit of film work when they started of where we first see it kind of from Corlos and um, Rainey's perspective of they're just looking out at the two of them walking, and the first thing we see is oh shit, he's three feet taller than she is, or at least looks that way at a distance. Yeah, she and looks then going so into their young. interactions. It's so delightfully awkward between the two of them. Of Viserys does not want to be here. He doesn't want to do this. And meanwhile, little Lena is just desperately trying to do her duty. I mean, her personality is more Arya than anything else. I love, adore that her questions are all about dragons, which we're going to go into here in a second. But she's trying to be the lady in the dress because she needs to, because it's her duty. And it makes Viserys feel all the more awkward to see this girl do something that she obviously is terrified of. Yeah, so before we get there, she does say, Hey, what uh what was it like what was it like flying Balerion? And by the way, uh King, maybe answer that fucking question. I would like to know what it was like flying yeah, Balerion. Answer from this guy, dude. Sorry. No, he's like, Well, I don't know, I do that, blah 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 blah. I'm like, dude, answer that was like that's the most interesting question you've been asked in this entire show so far. I'd like you to answer it. He didn't. But he does point out, as he likes to do, that when Balerion died, the last memory of old Valeria died with the Black Dread. But 
But she points out, well, Vagar lives. Vagar's alive. Vagar uh, is a dragon that was ridden by one of Aegon's sister wives. I don't think it was technically the sister of Balerion, but it was just one of the three dragons that were used in the conquest. So it was like yeah. kind of like an, a, a de facto sister of Balerion. Yeah, it was Balerion, um, Vagar, and Meraxes were the three. And then Valer- Mer- Woo! One eye Meraxes, I call her. <laughs> oh, dude, too soon. Uh, but yeah, uh, Vagar was ridden by uh, the sister wife Visenya, and it's about. I, if I remember correctly, his family uh, already has a Visenya. <laughs> I remember correctly, Vagar's like fifty years younger than Balerion, but this still means that at this stage, Vagar's like a hundred and sixty years old. This yeah. is an old, old dragon. Now, Balerion lived to be over two hundred. Yeah, so, so Vagar, Vagar, Vagar's got time, but apparently, Vagar's too big for the dragon pit. And it's nesting somewhere along the coast of the Narrow Sea. Now, Spencer, why why is it interesting that Lena, in the show specifically, is that let's just say, let's just say it, well, Lena say. specifically is asking about Vagar. Okay, spoilers because I don't know whether they're going I don't do this think in the this show. is a spoiler. I do, we because, don't know because do, well they point out they they make a point at the end of the show of having Corliss say we're not dragon riders. So I don't think it, this is a spoiler. It's it's one of two things, and again, spoilers for the next thirty seconds or so. Jump ahead. Uh, in the books, Lena is a dragon rider of Vagar right about this time. She pointedly claimed Vagar after his prior owner died and made it her own dragon, which is an incredible accomplishment for a twelve-year-old. That's why Vagar is my favorite fucking dragon. The, Allowed the, a twelve-year-old girl to draw to ride her. Uh, again, well, you, shout you, out Vagar. You, again, you said that we wouldn't get, we wouldn't have an Arya in this series. This little girl is kind of is kind of our Arya in many ways in terms of how badass she is and the legacy that she leaves and all of her accomplishments. Incredible little girl. I expect that if they're going that route, they may 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 may, may, may make her role even bigger. So it's one of two things. It is either a homage and recognition of oh yeah, she totally did that in the book and isn't that cool? That's or what it is. it's foreshadowing that this is what her house it's has done in the past, but this is a little girl that's going to make her own legacy. She will not fly Vagar. I am I, telling it, you right now, they're not I going to do it. Give it to me, sir. I want it they're so not much. Do it. But that's why Vagar is such the, is the coolest dragon. Because Vagar outlived the other Valerion and Meraxes. Yes. And Vagar allowed a 12 year old girl to ride her and then, you know, continue to be awesome, uh, with other things that, that would be spoiler if we Vagar were talking about. So many of the big dragons, the older dragons we get, are just fascinating creatures. Vagar is just the most interesting and complicated and mysterious of them all. Because Vagar so... does what Vagar wants. And they made it, they've made Vagar even more mysterious in the show because Vagar is basically off the reservation. We don't Which know where she yeah, is. Great. Yeah, she's not in the dragon pit. She's too big for the dragon pit. So she's just nesting somewhere. And, it, and then Lena says, the workers at Spice Town report hearing her songs at times. They say it's a sad thing. And oh. I... Oh. My fucking heart was breaking. Viserys says, well, "I imagine, I imagine, even dragons get lonely." Oh my god, he <laughs> is a dragon. He is a king. His wife just died. He is lonely. Okay, there it is. It's on the nose, but it's still a very well done little scene we got there. Oh, made all the more interesting by the next dialogue that we get here. Lena then, Lena then pulls out her script and starts talking about how it'd be great to be his wife and give him many children and all that jazz. And he cuts her off. Calls it correctly. He said, that's what your father taught you to say, right? And she not going to, she snitches get stitches. So she does not say yes, but she just gets quiet. And he says, well, what did your mother say? And she says. In most Aria fashion possible. That I wouldn't have to bed you until I was 14, which is a, it, just a truly terrible, awful line. And it, it seems to physically hurt the king when he hears it. And, and look, again, 
in Western history, this isn't something that's unique to other cultures. Kids were getting married off at three. Yeah, so it don't be yes, yeah, so don't part. So don't be upset part about it. Nobody I'm should not be upset. saying that. I'm saying acknowledge this is part of history. It yeah, should... acknowledge it, folks. It's all good. Acknowledge it. It's all good. Not a problem. Acknowledge, acknowledge does not mean support. Please, for the love of God, don't put that on me. It's not a big deal. Spencer says not a big. Spencer says marrying a three year old not a big deal. You heard it first on this podcast. So long as they aren't consummated until you know after they bleed, according to medieval standards. Apparently, that makes it okay. Unbelievable. Uh, cut away to Rhaenyra watching all of this. Rhaenys is in the background watching her. She asks Rhaenyra if it bothers her. Rhaenyra gives a canned answer, and Rhaenys asks again, "Does it bother you?" Rhaenyra, little fire. Yes. Lena is your daughter, princess. Does it bother you? Of course it does, she says. She goes on to say, it's just not the order of things. And you don't, you don't understand the order of things. Finally, Rhaenyra's like, look, if you're trying to piss me off, it's not going to work. But here's the thing, Spencer. Whenever you have to say, if you're trying to piss me off, it's not going to work. You're uh-huh. probably already pissed off. And I think she already is at this point. Uh-huh. Rainey says, look, I'm not trying to make you mad. Here's what I'm saying is that the king will remarry. The realm will force him to remarry. And his new wife will produce new heirs. And chances are better than not that one of those will be a male. And when that boy comes of age and your father dies, the realm of men will expect him to be the heir, not you, because that is the order of things. Well, well, when I'm queen, I will create a new order. Rainey says, I wish that were the case. I wish you would. I wish you could. But you can't. The men already had a chance to appoint a ruling queen, but they said no. Rhaenyra tries to make the case that they said no to Rainey specifically, not her. I talked about this in the reaction mm-hmm. podcast. My thoughts have not changed since then, which is that this is where Rhaenyra sounds in over her head as the heir because she sounds silly. Mm-hmm. She sounds like she doesn't understand the world because she's basically saying to Rainey's they rejected you because they don't like you Rainey's which by the way who doesn't like Rainey's and they really like me they bent the knee to me specifically and Rainey's accurately calls out and says well do you remind them of that as you carry their cups and she's like body body blow I've been I've been struck verbally no response to that one and it becomes a hammer blow by the end of the conversation potential line of the episode here it comes ladies and gentlemen here's the hard truth that no one else has the heart to tell you men would sooner put the realm to the torch than to see a woman ascend to the iron throne and your father is no fool meaning meaning he's gonna get an alternative and cast you out he knows that and he does not want his line to end because they refuse to sit you on the Iron Throne and he has no other heir. Therefore, he's going to make other heirs so that there's a plan B when the realm ultimately rejects you. Uh, and I, I got to say, this is one of my three favorite scenes in this episode. This is such a great acted scene. It's such wonderful dialogue. And talking with my mom in particular, this is just so authentic to the real world of two, two generations of women talking with each other that should be on the same side, but because they're different generations and have endured different things, actively undermining a mutual cause. It's great in terms of how it plays out. I think your mom is really astute in that observation. I think that, I think that really She's does happen a lot. I think that really does happen a lot from what I can tell. I think that's a really, really great point. Shout out to her. Um, I think it was a well acted to you. I will say this about Rainey's. Rainey's, I don't think is ever drunk. 
looks drunk. Like, do you notice how her body language, how she's just like splayed out, like, well, fuck it, I'm not gonna be queen. Who gives a shit? Like, she's just leaned back and like not like I'll be. She might not even be wearing a corset. Like, I don't think she gives a fuck. <laughs> Didn't even get dressed in the morning. Doesn't give a fuck. Like, what? you know, I love her. I do love her. Annie's a lot. I, I think it's all. It's a, it's a certain element of I don't have to wear. I don't have to wear the crown. So I'm gonna do what I like. It's also an element of this isn't a great day. Because I'm making my daughter do this because I think it has to be done, but it's not great. Cut to the king with Allison. He's picking at food. He's not really eating. He tells her that the council is pushing him to remarry. She says, well, a good, kind queen would give comfort to your subjects. She says, do, uh, you know, do they have any, anyone in, anyone in mind in, in specifically? Again, this is where I'm, uh, this, this is a key scene for pondering how much is she actually invested in directly working out her father's plans or just going with the flow? Because there are several moments in the scene that she seems to be steering it to, I got a job to do here and it's me that, me and you, they gotta be together. Yeah, she, uh, King says, well, Lena, Lena Valerian, she looks down, she says, well, it's a good match. And he says, uh, I don't know her well. <laughs> I don't know her well. Yeah, but if I only <laughs> knew that, if I only knew that 12 year old a little bit better, I'd be cool with this. We could talk about dragons other than the fact I'm terrified of them. And again, yes, you're 12. And I don't want to talk about dragons at all. Yeah. She says, well, I imagine she's good and kind and will enjoy your company as I have your grace. There it is. Uh-huh. It's oh. to have oh. a bit of a, they have a bit of a rapport. I'm telling you. Hey. That's two in one conversation, and we're not done yet. Yeah, she then pulls out a gift that she got him. What is it, Spencer? <laughs> she got him. She put fixed. the dragon back together. Uh, as I said in the te- text chain with you earlier, ladies and gentlemen, find a partner that supports your hobbies. It's so rare in the world. Viserys has found it. The world is great again. Well, I am here to write the freshman high school English paper, and we'll continue to call out the symbolism here, where he has broken the dragon and she has mended it and brought it together now just consider that as yeah. the plot continues to go uh, i think he will um yeah Otto comes in doesn't seem surprised his daughter's there at all says the mm-hmm. king needs to hear some news but i'm not gonna tell you you're gonna need to hear it directly the king then goes and he is told by a dragon pit worker who by the way what? dragon pit worker only speaks valeria doesn't even speak the basic tongue Yep. Turn to that second. One thing I did, I did love about the exit of the scene is Allison's reaction to her father. She doesn't even stare at him at first. She does this kind of standing up and then just does a slow turn and just kind of looks at him. This is just the conflicting aspects of interpreting this character. But this is not a girl that looks happy with what her daddy is making her do. Yeah, I, uh, she to me it seemed uh, maybe I misread it. I, I thought she was just more irritated that he broke up the conversation. Possible. He broke her flow, Dad. Come on. I'm here, I'm anyway, here to do my job. But, let's go yes. back to the dragon pit worker. Dragon who pit only worker. speaks Valerian. Why? Because they're dedicated workers. That's right. They yeah. own, they don't even speak the common tongue, Spencer. Yeah. You know, I got to say, please, Viserys, start funding the dragon pit better. Because I think I remember in the books that these are guys in immaculate uniforms with golden armor. These guys are consistently dirty with tears in their clothing. Dude, get them better funding. And also, you know... Give them a language course. It'd be better for them interacting with the rest of the No, world. I think they did the right thing here, right? Because in this world, the way that they can visually show you somebody's a hard worker is to have them filthy. Filthy. If they if they were dressed all up, it's I think fair. it would give I think it would give the impression to some people that they don't work very hard. Yeah. If they were grooms in the medieval sense, they would be dressed to the nines with elaborate colors, but then people wouldn't understand that. Oh, isn't that a noble? It's like, no, that guy's dirt poor, but he needs to look really impressive to make the noble look better. It's a harder thing to understand. So 
the king is very confused how this could happen, and the guy doesn't make any bones about it. He says, hey, it was Damon. And by the way, Damon left a note. Here it is. It is the pleasure of Damon Targaryen, prince of Dragonstone and rightful heir to the Iron Throne, <laughs> to oh. announce that he is to take a second wife in the tradition of old Valyria. She is to assume the title Lady Masari of Dragonstone. Her grace is with child. Oh. Her grace is with child and is to have a dragon's egg placed oh. in the babe's cradle in the custom of House Targaryen. So what he's saying here is that I am going to have a second wife. I mean, Aegon the Conqueror had three wives or two wives, I guess. He had two wives. So I'm going to take a second wife. And, uh, you know, she's already with child, which he, that's kind of hilarious that he's not even, he's not even like any, by the way, this is all a lie. And he's not even in his lie. He doesn't even pretend that he wasn't fucking her before they got married. Like he doesn't even <laughs> pretend that. And he stole, wouldn't add up otherwise. stole this dragon's egg so that he can put the egg in the cradle of the the baby. And this is something that happens in House Targaryen, that the babies will have a dragon egg placed in their cradle at night. And they think that that is some part of the bonding. You know, in reality, what's going on here is that the blood magic that connected the Targaryens long, long ago to the dragons mm-hmm. has been yeah. lost over time. So they don't really know. Like the the Targaryens themselves don't really know what connects them to the dragons. They're kind of stabbing in the dark here. They're throwing spaghetti yeah. against the microwave and seeing which one sticks. Like they're just guessing. And I I think that the the the, the, the dragon egg in the cradle. I would. I, here's my guess: is they at some point. They put a dragon egg in the cradle, and one of them hatched, and they said, eh, let's just keep doing that shit. And, and it does appear, and we have some evidence to believe, that it is not uncommon that the dragon egg that was in your cradle, you may be eventually be a dragon rider of that. Because, like, Queen Allison famously rode the dragon that was the egg in her cradle. It's happened before, but as you said, they're kind of working off correlation here. It's not like they've got this down to an exact science right, and but fully it- understand what the science would be. But that's not that's not even the most common way that people because like, because very often the the dragon is much older than the person and Absolutely. has had a rider before like Balerion like Vagar like all like these Caraxes Caraxes had a rider before so it's, you know it's just I think it's a lot of just them guessing in the dark because a lot of that technology was lost during oh. the Doom of Valeria which we established as canon was simply volcanoes erupting magic so. This is very obviously concerning for Viserys. And he says, but what he, in he, and he, the actor, Patty Constantine plays it so well. He shows all the, a lot of emotions, but he does accurately call out what's happening here. He's the only one in the room that understands it. That Damon's just trying to provoke him. He just wants yes. attention. That's all this is. Look, I am the, I was Damon's defense attorney for the last podcast. I mm-hmm. am a huge Damon Targaryen supporter. Damon is doing this for attention. He's throwing a tantrum. He's throwing an adult childhood tantrum. Well, right because now. he stole Dragonstone six months ago and his father, his, his brother's not even <laughs> bothered to be upset about it. So well, he's just trying to get attention. It, it, Vis- Viserys is a dad that has dealt with children throwing tantrums. Best thing you can do is ignore him. And this is exactly what he's doing with Damon. It's just like, let him stay in his room. He'll come out eventually. Right. But Otto is like, well, you know, like you can't do that. And finally, Viserys is like, well, what do you get? What would you have me do? Send him to the wall. First, I think the first time we hear somebody talk about the wall, hey. send him to the wall. Perhaps I could put his head on a spike, which, you know, he says in jest, because obviously he's not going to do this to his brother. Otto starts listing off all of Damon's sins. Which are not Ren- great. Not great. And Renera, shout out to Renera, calls it. She is the one. In Val- she doesn't even bother with the small council. She speaks in Valerian directly to the Dragon Pit Master and says, 
which egg was it? Why? Because she knows her uncle and she knows just how fucking petty he can be. And guess what it was? It was Dreamfire's egg. And it was the one that she had picked out for her brother, Balon, who Spencer calls the heir for a day. Uh, I do. It's the official term. Yes. Uh, this is both uh, Damon being petty. It's also Damon saying, how do I really, really get my brother to visit me? Oh, I know. Air for a day worked great before. I'll poke that one again. And it worked. The king hopped out of it. I will get, I'll drag, I'll drag the motherfucker back. I'll get him myself. I will. He is pissed and he's talking about going to Dragonstone himself to drag his brother back and to answer for his crimes and to take the egg back. And da, 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 da. Otto cuts him off and says, I cannot allow it. It's too dangerous. And Otto, Which is interesting. The, king, the prime minister just vetoed the king. True. And I honestly think. I'm very critical of Viserys this episode, rightly so. He makes a lot of mistakes. I think having a hand who is willing to say, you cannot do this, I cannot allow it, mm-hmm. is right. Now, ultimately, he does. He can tell Otto to fuck himself, right? He can. Yeah. But you do want a hand that will stand up and say, "I, I this is a line right here. You can't do this. And and it's good that Otto does that, right? Because it really isn't smart for the king to go to Damon. For a lot of reasons. One is physically dangerous, but two, it would be playing right into Damon's trap. Yeah, you're you're a big fan of West Wing. We've discussed this before, right? Absolutely. Shout out President Barlow. This is C.J. Craig telling the president, no, you cannot go talk to the press. That's my job. I'm controlling the message. You can't go in there. Yeah, it's like, this is my domain. King, I'm telling you, this is my domain right now. You can't do this. I'm not going to allow you. Now, we're going to unpack what the hell Otto Hightower is doing for the rest of this episode and I've got a theory that we're going to address once we get to the end, but Otto Hightower does not act out of purely just the benefit of the realm. It's not That's what Otto Hightower does. Very interesting. Okay, so Otto says, let me go. I'll go retrieve the egg. As he says this, cut, camera cut to Princess Rhaenyra, who is listening very intently. Cut mm-hmm. to Otto getting his armor on. Really cuts the warrior, doesn't he? Give me a uh, fucking break. Yeah. He probably hasn't worn it for a few years. It still fits. A few years? Give me a fucking break. Otto Hightower. I wouldn't... I don't think he could... You know, break into the fucking dining hall in the Red Keep. Like he, he does not cut well, the warrior he, to me. Again, his strategy here is go knock on the front door. So, you know, I think that's a great plan. We'll see how it goes. Allison comes in. Otto asks if she will be seeing the king tonight. And he says, she says, if you wish. Mm-hmm. Great, great writing there because that does tell us that for the last six months, she has been going to the king in part based on his orders, right? Cause she says, yes. if you wish. In comes Sir Kristen Cole, and he says he's assembled 20 members of his household guard. Now, Otto Hightower. What what part of Westeros is Otto Hightower from? The Reach. Now, the Reach, known for a lot of... town. Yeah, Reach known for a lot of things, but what do we know that they're not particularly good at? Uh, Well, I mean, there's been some aspersions, particularly in the show, cast against them in terms of the quality of their troops on a man-to-man basis. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm playing on here because it, it, I think it's important to know that these aren't these aren't twenty, uh, you know, knights, uh, the, the best knights of the realm. These are twenty household guards of the high towers from the Reach. Now yeah. he does he does they do bring two members of the King's Guard. That's important. They do, but I'm not I'm not Clean super sold. Commander. I'm not super sold that these twenty men would do particularly well against uh, against Damon's gold cloaks. Again, I don't think Otto Hightower is actually trying to actually fight a battle here before the day is done cut to dragonstone beautiful drone shot of dragonstone coming 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 from the water up the coast up Mm -hmm. and see the big castle 
It looks exactly like the Dragonstone from the show, which is great. They had a lot of continuity there. Then we see Otto and his crew approaching Damon and his crew along that super long walkway Mm -hmm. that we saw in season seven, Mm -hmm. where Tyrion was walking up when one of the dragons flew over and everybody got scared. Uh, Tyrion and Jon were walking on that, on that, I believe. They were. And one of the dragons came over and got scared. So we've seen this exact walkway before. Uh, Very much so. It is. Clearly, they're they're doing it uh, CGI rather than on location. I think the Spanish castle that they filmed it at before. But man, do they make it look pretty and get their money's worth when it comes to it. How do you know that it's that they're not filming it on location? How did you know that? It didn't. Well, it, they certainly have added in a lot of extra effects in post production when it came to the fog and the mist. If they aren't, it also didn't look exactly the same. Uh, I it it looked to me that it was being filmed on a well done green screen uh, with maybe some aspects of a real setting in place rather than actually on location, but I could be wrong. I'll have to check it. Yeah. They did a lot of on location shooting. I don't know about this one, but I know, I do know that they did an awful lot of on location shooting for the show, but, um, all right. I think this is the time for you to talk about your theory because this is where Otto is coming face to face with Damon who has the egg. Okay. A lot of people have been asking online, why would Otto Hightower do this? Is he looking to commit suicide? He clearly couldn't think that this would work. If he tried to attack Damon and his dragon, it would just kill him. Otto's objective here is to get Damon to look is make Damon look insane so he can report back to the king that your brother's out of control, we gotta take him out. That's the reason he didn't want the king to go. Because if the king goes, him and Damon are just gonna make peace the way they always do. The reason he's not happy when Rhaenyra shows up, because again, he doesn't want the situation to diffuse. He also doesn't want to die, but he wants to get right up to that limit. You want he wants exactly what to play out what happened. To the point that he's literally smirking at Damon when he tells all of his men to sheath their swords. His objective here is to get make Damon look insane, out of control, and dangerous, so that he can get the king to officially sanction Damon's removal. That's his objective here: remove a potential rival and threat to his own power base from the board. And he's trying to get that in motion through his own presence. Because look at Otto's style of a diplomat here. His objective: every word he, he says starts browbeating him immediately. Every word he says is just clearly designed to just incite Damon. He insults him. He mocks his wife. He focuses on past misdeeds. He calls him a spoiled child. This is not a guy trying to defuse things. This is a guy trying to get Damon to do something stupid and aggressive. And I think that's what his objective is here. That's why he didn't want the king to go. Not to protect the king, but because he actually wants this to be a thing that he can use to undermine or even potentially destroy Damon. Well, both things can be true, right? Because he probably did. There probably was some – I, by the way, love your theory and think it's right. I, I think you're right. There probably was some lingering concern about the king's physical safety. Possibly, because you never sure. – you, when you start dealing with Damon and dragons, oh. and uh, you just never know. So yeah. there probably is a, a, a modicum of that. But I agree with you because he, he, it's da- – Otto doesn't like Damon, but he comes out so hot here. It yes. is like – it's unbelievable. Like – and by the way, he misjudges on a couple different. Like first off, he he doesn't count on Renera coming in, but he who could have called it that, right? Sure. I don't I don't blame him for that. But he misjudges on a couple levels. One is I don't I think even if this went poorly, I still don't think the king would have said, "Yeah, go take my brother out." And two, I think he misjudged Damon's political acumen, right? Because Damon, I'm not saying he's a master tactician, right? I'm not yes. saying that. But he's also not stupid enough to completely lose his shit on Otto here because he's not doing that. He's not, no. When Rhaenyra comes, he hasn't lost his shit. D- Damon was not going to murder Otto, and I think Otto did not expect to be murdered here either. Well, no, I, but he, he but he also wasn't doing anything that I think 
would Pope would justify Otto going back and saying you got to take him out. I, I don't think he was playing quite into his hands the way Otto was hoping. He, he gave Otto enough ammunition that Otto could report back that he pulled his sword on us, he threatened to attack us, he refused any aspect of negotiation, and then he brought his dragon in and threatened to incinerate all of us. All of those are true. It's just leaving out the fact that from Damon's perspective, he was being very measured in his response. First of all, the dragon only came because you pointed a sword at him. Damon didn't call his dragon. The dragon came because there were swords pointed at Damon, right? Like so. Describing the story that Otto would report no, back no, no, and say what happened. Yes. No, absolutely. You're, you're 100% right. But my, but my point is that Damon isn't really doing a lot. Sure. That's out of, out of, out of bounds. You, 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 I, I don't doubt that Otto would have tried to sell that story. I just don't think that Damon has given him quite enough it, to uh, be able to, to, for the king to go, you know what? You're right. Go take him out. Yeah. Th- this is not that out of the norm for Damon. This is really Damon being actually pretty controlled about the, about the situation. But it's also a really good reminder of how the dragons operate, right? And we saw this so many times with Danny. And I love that we're, there's a continuity in the dragons relationship with the Targaryens that we see on screen here is that, the correct he didn't bring Caraxes out. Caraxes sensed that Damon was in danger, and he looked. and The dragons are very intelligent, and he saw swords pointed at his guy, and he thought, "Hey, fuck you!" Like, and he just you know basically like a dog barking, like I, get get away from my guy. Like, really cool continuity with how Caraxes is treating and protecting Damon, and how we saw uh, Danny's dragons do with her in the main series. Can we say one massive improvement this series has over the uh, the prior series we said before? Good yeah. God, the, the the character design on Caraxes yeah. is just so great. I mean, yeah, we do. They're I wouldn't even say they're inventing. I think they're just further expounding on what the books gave us. The books gave us that Caraxes is red. Caraxes is a hell of a brawler with worm. a lot of combat experience, and its nickname and its nickname is the Blood Worm. And they looked at that and went, "Well, worm traditionally means a very serpentine dragon." Let's run with that. And they made this eel-looking thing that flies through the sky, which chirps like an angry bird at you. Yeah, so, so I, I abs- my favorite part of this entire episode is the dragon, the dragon parts, right? Because, dragon confrontation? Well, no, I love the, I love the fact that I, I, I just, I'm, I'm a, I've always had pets. I yes. love animals and I love the idea that they are bonded in the sense that like when this thing senses danger for Damon, it just comes out. It wasn't called. Yeah. It just came out and it yeah. was going to throw down. Like d- don't doubt that if Otto and his 20 good men ran, ran at Damon, they would have been crisp. I'm fairly sure of that. Now what's super cool about this is that, um, well, let's not get to that. Let's, let's, let's do a little bit more of the recap where. Sure. Damon asks who Sir Crispin is. <laughs> Sir Crispin, he says, well, my name's Sir Crispin. Oh, sorry, I couldn't recall. Well, perhaps you will recall that I knocked you off your horse. So, you know, already, you know, you you foreshadowed a little bit. There might be some tension between these two characters. Uh-huh. There there obviously is. Damon, though, to Damon's credit, seemed to, he seemed to get a kick out of what, what Sir Crispin did there standing up to him. Yeah, it's one of those things of where I don't think Sir Kristen Cole would ever be friends with Damon. I think Damon would totally be friends with Kristen Cole in that kind of adversary buddies kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Like sort of like how the Hound hated Braun, but Braun would have kind of been buddies with the Hound if he would totally would have gone it. drinking with him. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think back to that Blackwater episode, how he was like, hey, you know, he, he was open to being his buddy. Hound wouldn't allow it. Anyway, go on. And this is more auto brow beating. He actually says this. You're an ab- you're an abomination. With every breath, you slow yourself in your brother's reign. 
This is the guy negotiating right now. Yeah, I think you have a great you have a really great read on this situation. Anyway, then the then the dragon shows up, of course, and it scares the shit out of everybody. Now, I also really love the look of terror on Sir Kristen's face because this is the guy who just said to Damon, Hey, I just kicked your ass, you motherfucker. Like he's trying to big boy him, and then the dragon comes out and he's like, Oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have done that. That was kind of funny. I love Cyrax's appearance on scene. It's like a shark leaping out of the mist. I mean, Yo, wait like, a second. Are you talking about uh, – I'm still talking about Caraxes now. Oh, Caraxes. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, I'm yeah, jumping yeah, yeah. ahead. Because I before, Cyrax does show up. But what I like is that three things happen. Please. First, Caraxes starts chirping mm-hmm. and talking. And what's happening – I've watched this like ten times – I believe what they're trying to show us is that Caraxes was talking to Cyrax before you even saw Cyrax. That's interesting. Because you could hear, you could hear Caraxes and you could hear dragon noises out in the distance. I believe the two dragons were talking to each other. Then you see the clouds move. That's the second thing. And then the third thing is you see Cyrax show up. Now Cyrax, they also took a lot of effort to show is the golden dragon. Yes. Right? Because that's, yeah. Cyrax looks more like the traditional kind of dragon. Very formal. I mean, from a relative standpoint, Caraxes is a straight-up bloodied brawler that eats Dornish for lunch. Cyrax is a kind of a well-pampered, well-regarded pet. And you get that on their, you get that heavily in terms of their appearances. You also get their relative sizes and relative ages really much. Cyrax looks like it's half the size of Caraxes in the shooting that they're doing here. I'm not sure about that. I, I think that I think it's a little closer than than what you what you're what you're saying because I, I think that they tried to show that Cyrax has grown since we saw in the first episode. Has, would you agree? Still smaller, half maybe an exaggeration, but I think they're clearly setting up the Caraxes is older and bigger. I think I think Cyrax is a little smaller than Caraxes. Yes, but I also think that the two dragons like each other. Because they were they were talking, talking, and they certainly did not show display any aggressive behavior toward each other. No, they, they were very much they were very much follow, doing what they thought their masters wanted them to do here. Yeah, and so then, so that that's what I that's the part that I really really loved about this episode is that I felt like what they were displaying is that they were showing us the dragons as true characters in that Caraxes. On its own, decided you're fucking with my guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna show off a little force here, and then since Cyrax started talking to Cyrax, and then sort of settled down a little bit when Cyrax showed up, like <laughs> yeah. sort of chilled. So I feel like they're showing us like like the, the the dragons are becoming characters, which is exactly what Ryan Condal said they were going to do. Which I'm looking forward to in spades. And isn't it a fun moment when the dragons are the de-escalators of the situation? If when the yeah. dragons are going, okay, we need to calm down so that yeah. the children don't hurt hurt themselves right now. That's kind of what it seemed like is that they were there, like sort of overseeing these people playing at war when and and they had no once Cyrax showed up, it didn't seem like Caraxes had any intent on doing anything other than just chilling. And they just mm-hmm. sort of hung out there. But anyway, then Rhaenyra gets off. She, you think, you think, you think, you think uh, Caraxes was inviting Cyrax to pizza later? It's just like, hey, after this is done, you want to meet, meet, meet up for meet, meet up for a nice slice? Well, they that's what they seem to be showing, is that the two dragons did not have any aggressive behavior toward each other. And, uh, you know, jump ahead 30 seconds, folks, if you don't want book spoilers. Okay? Jump ahead 30 seconds. Hit it on your player right now. Now. We know that these two dragons like each other. We do. We have got a lot of evidence. That they we do. know that they do. We're going to see that for about three seasons, that these two dragons like each other. So I like that they're laying the groundwork now. I like they're laying the groundwork now. Okay. Everybody who doesn't want book spoilers are back with us. Clear. And uh, so Rhaenyra 
strides in. Is that Renera Targaryen's music? You talk about an entrance. entrance. Woo! Oh, shout out to my queen. Take notes right now on how to do a proper entrance right here and how to make Otto Hightower just look very, very flapped in this moment. Foolish. Damon looks at her. Very interesting look from Damon. I took Damon's look to be a little bit of like awe. Like, I can't fucking believe she did that. Like, Did not plan on this. Shout out. Anyway, Rhaenyra uh, walks over and um, Otto says, you need to leave right now. And then I think he says, sure, Kristen, take her back. And then Rhaenyra just says, yeah, don't startle Cyrex. Don't startle Cyrex. She's pretty protective of me. And of course, you know, Sir Kristen doesn't even breathe. Uh, He doesn't take one breath even thinking that he's going to do what what Otto tells him to do. Let's discuss how Sir Kristen has moved in the last six months or like maybe last year. Foot soldier who is bastard, not even noble bastard born, steward bastard born, then knighted in the field, hedge knight kind of style, then wins a tournament in King's Landing, then becomes a member of the King's Guard, and now is having to deal with not one, but two dragons squaring off while he's in the middle. Yeah, guess what, Otto? He's not going to do anything right now. He's <laughs> paralyzed. And the actor shows it. The actor yeah. shows terror. Uh, so she walks up. They, they speak, Damon and Rhaenyra speak nothing but Valerian to each other this entire time. And she says, look, I am the Princess of Dragonstone. I've been named here. And you're squatting in my house, basically, Uncle. Mm-hmm. And you've pissed off your king. Damon says, I don't know why. This is a celebration. I am to be wed. She points out, you already have a wife. He says, not one of my choosing, which I think is a fair point from Damon. Mm-hmm. She asks, okay, so it's so a wife. You have a wife not of your choosing. Does this require you to steal a dragon's egg? And Damon says, well, I just want the child to be able to sleep with the dragon egg. Renera. Ever the astute person. I'm telling you, her dad is missing out because she she has some political abilities that he's just absolutely skipped, just missing, overlooking completely because of his misogynism, like, or misogyny, like, he's missing this altogether, but she's the only one that called this out. He, she just looks at him and goes, oh, so you're to have a child? And he (laughs) cannot lie to her. He just looks back at Masaria and says, well, one day. She's she's reading Damon well. She's also probably the only one that's actually paying attention to Masaria. Because throughout this conversation, Masaria's just been looking at Damon saying, was there a conversation we didn't have at some point that I missed? looks very much not pregnant. And in this world... Not pregnant and not getting married either. And in this world, you couldn't, like, pee on a stick and it tell you that you're pregnant. You had to, like, miss your... You had to miss your period for a few months and then typically you'd start showing. So usually if somebody's announcing to the world that they're pregnant, they're at least showing a little bit. So it's a great question from Renera. I just think it's... And a lot has been talked about this. Rightfully so. Damon changes when she comes around he changes tone he mm-hmm. looks more meek his shoulders slump he looks down he's not able to lie to her look he likes her i don't know what else to tell you i know it's weird i what? know it's weird it's her uncle but like let's take the fact that it's uncle and niece out of the picture let's take that off the table <laughs> for a ask. second big ass we'll yeah try. but just but you know but but for the sake of conversation take it out if you took that off the table me and you would have no problem sitting here and saying, man, he's got a real crush on her based on what they're showing us. Yeah. And it makes for a wonderful moment here at the end of where, you know, Masari just walks away, just like thoroughly put out that Damon's been doing all this stuff without talking with her. And she lays out to Damon, is it uncle? I'm right here. I am the object of your ire. I'm the reason that you are no longer the heir. If you want to be the heir, you got to kill me. So bring it. I'm standing right here in front of you. 
Yeah, and, and then he, it's yeah. like a what fifteen seconds of the two of them just staring at each other. Yeah, and so much is passed between them in that stare. Well, when you here's when you say that, here's what I I want to say explicitly what I think that is being passed. I Please. think what is being passed is when she says that she looks up and she sees weakness in Damon. And she also sees that Damon really likes her. Not, not, hey, you're my niece. I brought you a little trinket. Like, really likes her. And I think that she, that she, there's a shock on her face a little bit from that. She looks at him like, whoa, like, wow, I, I just got to look like I'd get like after three drinks, you know, it's like, it's like 145 and everybody's pairing up to go home for the night. Like, that's the look I just got. Like, that's a little shocking to me. That's what I think passes between them. What, what did you think? No, I, I very much agree. I saw some people online saying, said, oh, she suddenly realized that Damon might hurt her. And I'm like, oh, I got no. none of that uh-uh. out of that saying. I got, nope. I mean, you know, biased to a certain degree by certain possible knowledge about where things might go. But it's I interpreted it as her being suddenly realizing that, oh, my dear uncle has in thoughts and intentions about me that I did not realize that they were there. Because I don't think she had even the slightest inkling that Damon was going to hurt her. No. I don't think that thought crossed her mind at all. She was purposely trying to call his bluff that this is what you'd have to do, and we both know you wouldn't do that. What she didn't expect was was the full halls of why he wouldn't do that. Yeah, didn't the, understand the full motivations there. Because Masaria takes a when Renera comes around, Masaria takes a quick backseat. Stage left. Well, she also takes a backseat to Damon's yes. interest. Like Damon is not paying her as much interest. And if we just like I keep saying, if we just take. The fact that the, the fact that their uncle and niece off the table, it, we would everyone would be saying, "Oh yeah, he's got a crush on everybody." Yeah, he's got a crush on her. Obviously, like it's pretty obvious that he does because Damon Ms. doesn't count. Sorry, it. knows it too. Yes, of course she does. That's why that is. Yeah, I can get you a whore with silver hair. Silver hair, be all one. She's very pissed that he lied, but I think she's more pissed at what she noticed, which was he was he he. He wasn't expecting her to show up, yes. and he tipped his hand that he's got a thing for his niece. That's basically what happens. Now, for those who are wondering, Damon's about 12 years older than Renera. So, Renera's 15 in the show. I think Damon's about 22, 23. That's what he's supposed to be. I understand the actor Matt Smith is older than that, but guess what? They're going to keep the same actor when they age them all up, so that's how they cast it. But he's it, supposed it, to be 22, 23 in this scene. It'll eventually come together, and you'll be fine. Yep. Uh, anyway, Damon... Finally, turns to walk away and he throws the egg back at her. Question to you, Spencer. Is this an egg like a chicken egg or is it an egg like Danny had egg? Because Danny's eggs you could drop on the ground. That wouldn't have been a problem. These eggs, I'm not sure. Is is him tossing that as reckless as maybe some people thought it was? I thought it was kind of reckless. From my perspective, this is a potent... I mean, Danny's eggs were specifically petrified fossilized. They were stones, basically. These seem like viable eggs still. At least they have hope for them. So... That felt really damn reckless that he's just going, eh, you know, in a decade or so we'll have 20 of these. What, what, what's the risk of throwing an egg across the, across this narrow bridge right now? Shout out to Renera Targaryen. Sure-handed. Caught it. No problems. Looks down. Very big smile out of her. She's very pleased with herself because she, she nailed it. She crushed this scene. She did exactly what she hoped to do. Uh-huh. She puts the, the, she gives the dragon egg back. They put it back on the coals. She cuts Otto a heck of a look, and Otto cuts one back at her. These two characters don't like each other. Then yeah. off she goes with Cyrex. Yeah, th- this played out exactly the way Rhaenyra uh, wanted, and exactly the way I don't think Otto wanted. No, it was yeah the worst possible outcome for Otto because Damon 
is fine and he's going to stay at Dragonstone and he has no re- like to your point he has no, re- no he has no real reason to go back to the king and say well Damon's out of control you have to do something because he actually did treat with Rhaenyra and gave the egg back yeah. and it also makes Rhaenyra look really good and by the way Otto probably has a vested interest in the king not taking counsel from Rhaenyra why because right now he basically only does what Otto, he, Otto is the number one guy he is his lieutenant now if the heir Renera comes of age and he starts listening to Renera. That could that could threaten that that space as his number two. Yeah, his, uh, his sole control and sole influence he essentially has over the king. One thing you can count about Otto is that he does not want anything to befall the king because he views the king effectively as his pawn. Yeah. So the idea that there are other people that are competing for the king's, you know, uh, competing to influence the king in various ways is something that Otto is not fond of. Yeah. Cut to uh, Damon walking back into Dragonstone. He's got a lot of troops there. That's, you know, he does really, he does have himself an army. And they walk into a room. It looks like the same room that we saw in season seven with the dragon in the background. Maybe there is no giant Westeros table, though, in that room. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, they could have moved the table or something, but we did see sure, the exact, maybe. we saw the exact dragon carvings in the background. That, sure. that The specific scene, I remember, with Tyrion and Danny where we saw those dragon carvings. So the, it's, they're, they yeah, they're playing on rooms. that. Yeah, they're playing on that. Anyway, Masaria is pretty pissed. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, Masaria is obviously, quote, lower born, uh, from in this world. She's from a completely different land. She's supposed to have an accent. She's supposed to. Yeah. But I fucking, I just fucking hate it. I just, it, 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 I, it just sounds bad to me. I know that's petty. I know that sounds like I'm potentially even being like, uh, like anti female in some way. You know, that's sort of like how people used to hit Hillary Clinton, you know, like, oh, I can't stand her laugh. It's grating, like sexism. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. What? I just don't like it. It's not the actress's accent. She's British Japanese. This is the accent that she's putting on for the character. And I'm actually a hundred percent there with you. I've seen the actress on things. She's a great actress. It was almost incomprehensible. I'm glad I had subtitles on. It it was jarring and jilted. It clearly didn't feel natural for the actress to say, and it came across that way. You are Damon Targaryen, and I do not want that. It almost felt like exoticism. It was like, oh, let's give her a strange accent. She's foreign. It's like, well, yeah, that's what they were doing. That is exactly what they were doing, because she is foreign. It, it that that's that's more problematic than mocking the accent. I feel it's like why that, she should have an accent. She should. It I but it, it comes across as being just so. If nothing else, it makes the scene less enjoyable and breaks the flow of the scene because it comes across as so jagged in terms of its flow. It's like you can give her any accent you want. Don't pick one that becomes actually difficult for people to understand in processing the scene. And one that is so unnatural to the actress. I yes. I just don't. I, it didn't work for me. But anyway, what we land in this scene is that two, we've got two two primary things. Mm-hmm. And then the underlying thing. Right? The underlying thing is that Masaria is pissed that Damon has a thing for his niece. But the, the two primary things that's going on in this conversation is, one, we learned that Masaria had no idea that Damon has announced that, A, they're getting married, or that, B, that she's with child. So Damon just okay. made that shit up. Again, Damon wanting attention from his brother. Yeah, and feeling apparently no need to bring his paramore into that discussion in a way that could as she brings up be potentially disastrously more dangerous for her than him and the second thing which i think is really telling about masaria's intelligence is that she says hey do not put me in your shit because i can't afford it 
because they will kill me quick. Like I, you can't use me in these games because I will just die. Like that, that's just, that will happen. And I came to you for safety to be liberated from fear. So don't do yes. that. And I thought that was a pretty astute point on her part. And it, 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 Damon has no response to this. Damon, he's not a guy to apologize, but he is a guy to kind of recognize what he did wrong here. And obviously he was in the wrong when it came to her here, nothing else. 100%. Go back to the king. He's looking at the dragon figurine. And then he goes to talk to Lionel Strong. Basically what he's, he's just doing the thing that you talked working about. Where he, he's working the room. He's pulling them off. He's having separate conversations with everybody in the small council about it. Would it be a good idea for him to marry Lena? Lionel Strong just says, yeah, it would be. You should. He says, well, she's rather young. He says she will mature. Basically dismissing that concern saying, look, we got a potential war in the stepstones here. Corliss has half the fucking ships. You you have a little bit of tension with his family anyway. It would be a very, very good idea for you two to get on the same page here through this marriage. So, yes, you should do it. You know, one of the things I get from these scenes, Viserys has a really not good small council. He's, he's a collection of astute, capable guys that want to give him good advice. Nope. And, and, and also Otto Hightower, which at least some of those things I just said apply to him, too. I do think Damon was right when he said that they notice your weakness and they leech you and that they yes. are leeching him. But I, I agree with you there. He certainly has a better small council than any of the small councils we saw in the main series, except yeah. for possibly the final one. Does he have any like comparing this to, like, say, Bobby B's council at the start Oof. of season one? Do, do, the, do the two even compete in the same league? No, not even close. I'm, like I say, the only small council that we saw in the main series that might be on the level was the last one. Right. Because uh, <laughs> Brawlin is master of coin. Let's see how that plays out. Well, no, I mean, I, 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 he's a, no, he has a lot of, Braun is smart, dude. Braun's real fucking smart. Sure. And he's, he knocked every single job he got out of the, out of the park. He's got Tyrion as the hand. He's got, uh, Samuel. It's hard. I mean, he, I, I think he had a pretty good council there at the end. I know you hate season eight so bad you don't even want to talk about it, but I think he had a pretty mm. good, pretty good small council there at the end. But your, your point is a well, a well made one, which is that, uh, our king has a pretty good small council and he's getting some good counsel here from Lionel Strong. Mm-hmm. At one point, though, you know, he does mention, hey, look, you know, Corliss has half the ships and we're almost about to go to war. And Viserys says, well, he'd never withhold the ships if the realm needed <laughs> them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Are you sure about that, my king? <laughs> and then and then finally Viserys goes, who is he to Hector me? And it's like, well, you know, I think you answered your own question. He's the guy with half your fucking army. Like, that's mm-hmm. the guy. Yeah. Um, I, I love that Lionel Strong eventually just says that, dude. Corliss is making the smart play here. He, you know, it's a calculated reach, but he's a guy with position and power, and he wants to wield that right now. How much can you really judge him for making the request? Yeah. In comes the King's Guard, says the princess has returned from Dragonstone. The King Dragonstone? He didn't even know. He didn't didn't even even know. know she was gone. Nope. Didn't even know she was gone. He goes to meet her. Rhaenyra comes in. And Viserys starts to dress her down a little bit. Focuses on the fact that, look... You're my only heir and you could have been killed. Really good. Really good dialogue here, right? Because he's, he seems still, still hasn't learned a lesson, hyper focused on the heir and not the relationship. He didn't say, you're my daughter. I love you. You could have been hurt. He says, you're my only heir. Something could have happened to you. Mm -hmm. Rhaenyra notices shit like that. So she, she has to sit down when she does. It de-escalates the conversation a little bit. She mentions, Hey, look. I did go get the egg back without bloodshed, something I don't think Serato could have accomplished alone. King says, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. You got, a got a good point there. Goes on to talk about her mother. Says, your mother's absence is a wound that will never heal. Without her, 
The Red Keep has lost all its warmth. It will never recover. Coming from a guy with multiple wounds that will not heal. Mm, just like to point fair out. Fair point. Uh, still writing that freshman high school English <laughs> paper here. You, you, sir, are going for a solid I'm gonna, A-. minus. I'm going to point out all the little obvious symbolism. She yeah. says it pleases her to hear that, that she isn't alone in her grief. So basically, Rhaenyra, I thought, was really extending a larger olive branch than Viserys has ever done to her, saying, hey, look, I'm hurting, and it helps me to know you're hurting, too. Yeah. He says he wishes he'd have known better what to say to her in the aftermath. He struggled to realize that his daughter is a grown woman now. Uh-huh. But as a grown woman, you must understand what is expected of me. She says, yeah, sure. The king must take a new wife. Of course. I understand that. Yeah. Mom would have mom understood that. It ain't no problem. He says, look, I don't want to make us estranged. And she says, you're a king. Do your thing. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool, and- dad. Why would you even Why would you even say the word estranged? I don't even understand. And you know what? Would you people just talk with each other? You're leaving out the key detail here. This, you, you people, this is not Rhaenyra's fault at all. It's fucking Viserys just has to say the name. Yes. He has to say, I'm going to marry Alison Hightower. That's the conversation. It, you know, he just it, didn't have the conversation he thought he had. As we discussed in the acknowledgement section, there are two conversations that Viserys desperately needed to have before the next scene we have Viserys. A, talk, have a long, honest talk with your daughter right here, right now about A, her position, B, how that position could be further strengthened, and C, how he wants to strengthen his position as king through marrying Allison. I think if he actually had that honest conversation and didn't just utterly cold cocker with it later, she could get on the same page and be more okay with this. Not like it, but at least be more on the same page. He just had none of that. Conversation number two. How dare you, sir, not tell the Sneestake before you reveal this in front of other people? Just, dear Lord, how did you think he was going to take that information? And that, from his perspective, public humiliation on the subject of it. Phenomenally stupid on both accounts. I will say, I'm not sure that he could have gotten Rhaenyra okay with it. I think it could only have helped, though. Yes. If it, it could have either done nothing or it could have helped a little. A he absolutely should have talked to Corliss beforehand. That was out of bounds. It's a question of respect for both your heir and arguably your most powerful lord. That you've got to show them that respect. Not arguably. Yeah. His yeah. most powerful lord. Yeah. You need to show them that respect by having that private conversation with them before you just reveal it in front of other people and surprise them with it. Just basic human decency there, sir. Cut to the next day. King is at the small council room. In comes the small council. He looks down, disturbed, concerned, something. He looks something, Spencer. Mm-hmm. He turns around and he dresses them. Why, why is Allison Hightower here right now? I have decided to take a new wife. I intend to marry the lady Allison Hightower. <laughs> and everyone turns. <laughs> oh, oh shit! No, he didn't. Yeah, he basically like, yo, I'm gonna marry, I'm gonna marry Allison. And everybody, and Corliss is like, you, you about to what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What'd you say? He stands up angry. This is an absurdity. My house is Valerian, the greatest power of the realm, and he and Viserys fires back, and I am your king. Corlys looks around, looks at Otto, and storms out. I don't think they landed on a good place. How many? I mean, we remember that famous Taiwan quote about no, no man. A true king doesn't have to say that they're the king. Poor Viserys has to repeat it every other scene that he's in. Uh, yep. Yeah, Rhaenyra looks at Alicent. You notice here that it, it's the king who says Rhaenyra. Like, hey, are you like basically are you okay? Renera, ignoring her father, stares daggers at Allison and then storms out. 
because Allison hid this from her. She had no idea that her she Allison and her dad were even talking, much less that you know wedding bells were about to ring. I'm nodding my head as hard as I can. That it's the fact that Allison hid this from her. I, I think that she has come to accept that her father's sort of a bumbling idiot. Doofus. But I think that she's really shocked that Allison didn't tell her this. Yeah, that's a very person. That's a very personal betrayal that you're marrying my dad with me having no advanced knowledge whatsoever. Cut to Corliss talking. And he mentions that, hey, he's talking to somebody. We don't know who he's talking to. He mentions that his house is more ancient than House Targaryen. <laughs> what? Where the fuck did yeah. this come from? Well, Where did that, this come from? That, that, that's the Valerians just spouting shit, probably. Yeah, I, I, that, if, if they're trying to introduce that as canon, that's new. He says, but it, unlike the Targs, we're not dragon lords. That also is new because new and change. That's a change. Let's just say it's a straight up change, right? There. Well, actually, I think the wording is interesting because he said we're not. We weren't dragon lords, and I'm not sure that House Valerian was a dragon lord in in Old Valeria, but they That's, did because of their their constant inbreeding with the Targaryens. They do dry dragons. They are dragon riders. Very important distinction. Good thing to point out. Not dragon lords, but in the books, they are dragon riders and have been for some time. Well before the events of the show, but that's clear. Clearly, they're por- they're purposely making a change here that we can discuss in greater detail later on in other segments. They had to. He says, "My house has to scr- had to scratch out an existence from the sea with grit and luck." And when I ascended the driftwood throne, I knew what I wanted. I went out and seized it. I built my house with the strength of my own back. True. I always always thought of you and I having been made of the same cloth. Turns. And he's talking to Damon Targaryen. That's right. He has called Damon, Brother Damon, Brother Damon in to sit with him and uh, at Driftwood. And Damon fires back, Lord Corliss, I didn't know you had a king for a brother. Corliss, you notice in this conversation, Damon is pretty difficult. Yes. And Corliss is showing that. See, this is where I hesitated when you were like, tell me, like Corliss's political ability. I'm like, well, it doesn't really come off with the king, but it certainly does come off with Damon because he is it able does. to shelve his pride. And when Damon fires these little pithy things at him, he completely ignores it, blows right on respectfully and is willing to make his point. And he does gain an ally, it looks like, through this conversation. Corliss calls out that they've both been passed over. Did you call? And then then Damon again says, did you call me here? Did you call me to Driftbark to remind me of my low standing or is there some other reason? So, again, Damon being difficult. Corliss blows right past that. It was like never water off a sea snake's back. It's just yeah. let's all this go past him. Yeah, and he talks about how his brother, the king, is not doing anything about the stepstones. And he, he's I, I look, hey man, I told him I'll go deal with this, and he's not letting me. Great line from Damon here. It was never my brother's strongest trait. What's that? Being king. Oh, oh, oh! That hurts. That one hurts. Corliss says the crab feeder is backed by powerful people. The king's failures have allowed him to accumulate strength. And if the shipping lanes fall, his house, House Valerian, will be ruined. I will not have my house beggared while the king idles himself with feasts and balls and tourneys. Record fucking scratched. I, it's from Damon, I will speak of my brother as I wish. You will not. Very important detail that we need to be reminded of with respect to Damon when it comes to that line. Whatever else you can say about him, he is a man that loves his brother and he loves his family. He is a complicated person of innumerable faults, but that's something that should never be forgotten. He loves his brother. He caught like, and I don't even think what Corliss said was all that bad. All he said is that like, my, I don't want my house to be ruined while the king ignores this situation and has feasts and balls and tourneys. And, and it's the implication 
Like, and it's so interesting because da- Damon is admitting it. Damon just said he wasn't a good yes. king. But, but he says, I, say, I, I will say he's a bad king, but you will not say that. Damon shoots him a heck of a look. Corliss and points out, Corliss again, showing political skill, ignores that completely and just points out that the Stepstones is a chance for him to prove himself to anyone who still may doubt him. Final quote of the episode, potential line of the episode. We are the realm's second sons, Damon. Our worth is not given. It must be made. End of recap. End of recap. Uh, and I, I think I think we end with a visual of we finally get to see what the uh, the crab feeder looks like, which has been commented before. Oof. All all sorts of leprosy style grayscale going on there. Yeah, he's got a he's got a very very advanced case of grayscale, and you know grayscale does ruin the mind too. It does, right? And so it's hard to tell at this point. Like it's hard to tell if he can even still talk because a lot of the grayscale has covered his face. And and it, well, may, maybe we yeah. don't know. Uh, we haven't heard him. And we also don't know if his fixation on torture is a, a side effect of the grayscale, right? Like maybe, maybe he was willing to, I don't know, say crucify or whatever his enemies. But now that this grayscale is like half his fucking body and I'm sure it has affected his mind, he seems to really revel in it. I mean, what we're seeing when it cuts to him is he's very slowly, methodically torturing people. And delighting in the experience. Of the Seeming to enjoy it. Exactly. Seeming to enjoy it. So there we go. That's the end of the recap. Spencer, do you want to jump at our segments? I'm ready, sir. All right. It is your job to supply me with lines. Best lines of the episode. I, as God Emperor, will choose them. I'll also throw in a few as I have them. Potential uh, it, lines of the episode. Spencer, do you have any nominees? Uh, somewhere to last episode, it is good to have quality writing back in Game of Thrones. I've got a few for us to go through. Um, Damn. Damn. I'm here to bring the salt and the joy in equal measure. Uh, first one uh, is basically, I'll summarize it as Viserys' little speech about old Valeria in terms of the Valerian capital was built into a volcano, much like Dragonstone, and the Dragon Lords, the highest of the nobility, lived there at the volcanic face, closest to the source of the magic and their power. And this was the Anogrion? Am I saying that right? I can't remember how they pronounced it in the episode. Yeah, uh, something uh, like that. Where the Blood Mages worked their craft. As you as you said before, it's just so much a repeated motif with this character that he is just dreaming and harkening back to a world that he never saw but has certainly imagined forever. I got one. Please. The shithead himself, Sir Shithead, Otto Hightower, says, I caution you, Lord Corliss, a seat at the king's table does not make you as equal. Good one. I like that one quite a bit. Um... What, uh, one that's coming from the sea stake himself. To elude a storm, you must either sail into it or around it, but you must never await its coming. And then, continuing the dialogue, do you have a specific course of action to propose, my lord? Join our families, wed our daughter Lana, unite the two great surviving Valerian houses. With the Targaryen dragons and the Valerian feet bound in blood, you can show the realm that the crown's strongest days are ahead, not behind. Great line to start, and quality marketing going into that, because that harkens to so many of Viserys' self-doubts and concerns. I got one. It's not going to end up being line of the episode, but I would, if any of our fans would like to put this on a t-shirt and send it to me, I will happily wear it until the shirt, uh, either dies or gets lost. And that is at least the princess has a plan. (laughs) Throw that on a t-shirt, please. At least Um, the princess has a plan. Mark that one. I'm going to summarize this one because you already kind of went through it all, but the entire Vagar back and forth between Lena Lena and Viserys. It's just great. Love it so much. Uh, I've got a few more if you want me to go through them unless you have yeah, more. Yeah, absolutely. Fire away. Um, uh, 
I will skip that one. <laughs> I was going to do Elena's line about uh, the uh, it would be an honored Jew in our houses, and the line that he says to her, to her about what your father said versus what your mother said. But we already discussed it. Still, it's a great line back and forth. Uh, line from Rainey's to, to Rhaenyra. Uh, here is the hard truth, which no one else has the heart to tell you. Men would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. And your father is no fool. As said, great line. So much grounding in real life interactions between people. Great scene. Uh, funnier one, but just the line between Damon and Crispin and, and uh, Crispin Cole. So Crispin, Crispin, wasn't Crispin? It? Yeah. <laughs> you called him Crispin. I did. Uh, Crispin Cole, uh, Sir Crispin Cole, my prince. Ah, yes, my apologies. I couldn't recall. Perhaps my friend, my prince, recalls when I knocked him off his horse. Chuckling. Very good. Very good. Uh, Otto's little speech about this is truly a pathetic show, Damon. Are you so desperate for the king's attention that you've resorted to skulking about like a common cut purse? He's perfectly correct in summarizing exactly what Damon's doing, but I again like my theory that he is just being willfully provocative here for his own purposes. Yep. Uh, Rhaenyra to Damon, I'm right here, uncle, the object of your ire, the reason that you were disinherited. If you wish to be restored as heir, you'll need to kill me, so do it and be done with all this pop. And then the 15 seconds of them staring afterwards and how they react to it is just a delightful capstone on the scene. Um, line from Lord Strong to Viserys. You sit upon the highest seat in the realm, your grace. Proud men don't like having to look up. That's, that's a, a good one. That's such a delightful summary of how aristocracy works. Very good one. Uh, to do the entire speech by the sea snake to Damon is just great about House Valerian's origins ending up with we are the realm's second son's Damon. Our worth is not given. It must be made. Cause it very much summarizes how the two see themselves. I mean, the sea snake, I don't believe he actually is a literal second son, but he views himself as a guy that has made his own power. His family's old. It's always had connections, but he's the one that made them the wealthiest arguably one of the most powerful houses in Westeros. His family that, is a second son to the Targaryens, is what he's saying. And that his own accomplishments have put them into the limelight, in a way that he viewed them as almost equals, and now he's going to try to prove it. So a great line to end off the episode with. A lot of really great lines here. Continuing the great tradition of good writing for Game of Thrones, uh, I will say that the best line of the episode here, episode two, the rogue prince of House of the Dragon, is here's the hard truth that no one has the heart to tell you, men would sooner put the realm to the torch than to see a woman ascend to the Iron Throne. Shout out to my girl Rainey's great, great line. Scene. Might great might be line. one of the might be the line of the season. You know, when we when all said and done, that might be the best line as far as encapsulating what's going on in the uh the, the sort of socio political world there in Westeros. Honestly, if you want a tagline for the entire show that one's going to rank high. Uh, okay. All right. So uh, I think it's my, my segment. So uh, tell me, sir, is Game so, of Thrones back? So Spencer, we got a shot. It was a cutaway to, oh my gosh, I can't tell what it is. There's a lot of fog. There's a lot of, a lot of clouds. It yeah. looks like it's the sea. Up, 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 up goes the drone and bam, we get a full shot of Dragonstone. Yeah. Then after that, we get the walkway of Dragonstone, which you're you're claiming is green screen, which I think is mean. It's a very mean thing to say. I it's think, well done, green screen. I'm I don't think, I don't think so. And then we have this great, the great walkway that we saw Tyrion and John on, that they had to walk up to get to to Dragonstone to meet with Danny in season seven, where the dragon came over. It harkens right back to that, continuing to connect back to the original series, showing the casual out there. Love the casual. I talk about this all the time. The mm -hmm. casual is why we were here. The casual pays the bills. Without the casual fan, this show would not exist. 
connecting the casual to the main series, creating that nostalgia for Dragonstone. Also, we cut to a specific room where we see the exact same carving on the wall that we saw in season seven of the dragon's head. Keep further connecting us. And then what do we get in the same fucking scene? More dragons and dragons that are really well done. Really, yes. We talked about this where they're distinctive. They have characters. Mm-hmm. They're, they seem to have a sense of what's going on. They're not, they're not stupid, right? Continuing to connect us to Danny's dragons who also were not stupid, who also looked really fucking cool, who got the casual fans super excited. So what I will say is this entire sequence of Dragonstone connecting us back to this, the original series, getting everybody super excited that we're in this world. Hey, I know what that is. I've seen that before. I remember that. Danny had that. That's where she was when she first landed in Westeros in season seven. Oh my God. I understand what's going on. Spencer, is Game of Thrones back? Game of Thrones is talking back with that scene. That was a masterful work of television when it came to that scene in terms of the imagery, in terms of the setting up the acting, in terms of just what little bits it gives us to show that they understand the world building once again. It's Game of Thrones is back. Game of Thrones is back. And if you want further proof that Game of Thrones is back, there was no precipitous drop off of viewership from episode one to episode two. As a matter of fact, it went up 10 million to 10.2 million. So the audience is growing. And... IMDb, by the way, which keeps metrics about viewership, not only in America, but all throughout the world, has uh, like a sort of aggregated metric of the most popular television shows on the planet. And House of the Dragon now currently sits at number one. That's right. It is the most popular show on this earth that we have, Spencer. How, how long were you predicting? We were debating what its viewership numbers would be. How long would you have predicted for it to get that number again? Season, Season three. two? Three. Yeah. I was expecting that they would have to show war and dragon battles and all kinds of stuff. I, for it to be the most popular show on the planet, I did, I had no, I, I mean, I hoped, but I really didn't have an idea that it would happen by episode two. Statistically, episode two of every season was the most boring episode of each season, or at least close to it. That's just kind of what episode two's job is, is that you've had the exciting intro, now you gotta set up everything else that's gonna come building up to the climax of the season. And yet episode two is already their most watched, already number, the top, Top television in the world. All right. I think it's your segment, Spencer. Uh, one thing I just want to note before we even go into it. I'm just so excited that we've got lots of dragons and that they all have characters and they all have unique personalities and styles and visual depictions. And it just reminds me just how much wonderful world we're going to get. So, oh, and, and I get if they're doing think about what they're doing with Caraxes and Cyrax mm-hmm. and how connect that to how much we got. So right now. If you don't want any book spoilers, I think now is a good time to, to, to off. T- jump we off. Y'all. We really, really appreciate you, and we will see you Sunday night on our reaction pod for episode three. Okay. Go. Now, okay. So think about how much we got in the books about Caraxes and, and um, Cyrax. As tied to Damon and Rhaenyra. Yeah, we, so yeah, but we got uh, a couple lines here and there. Yeah, think but about it was how, there. But, yeah, and there, it was there, there. Yeah, but my point is, is that they're giving those dragons characters, despite the fact we didn't get a ton in the books about them. Mm-hmm. You know who we got a little ton in the books about? It's Vagar. So I guarantee that they will fucking have as much of a as of a character as they fleshed out with Caraxes and Cyrax. It will be triple for Vagar. Uh, I'm sure of it. I'm still betting that they're going to go forward with the Lena Valerian plot of her being Vagar's dragon rider. And I think if they do that, 
they're going to give her a bigger role going forward just because of how amazingly impressive that is. It's like, no, this is not a girl that's going to die in childbirth, you know, at 24 or whatever else when she's married to Damon. Good lord, just the plot going in weird directions. This is She's going to be a bigger player going forward. I will they, but if the, so, if they do that, are they gonna? Are they actually going to show Aemon just straight up stealing Vagar like the way that it happened? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I know think that they, would confuse the fuck out of the audience, and I, and I think they've already established that the, the Valyrians aren't dragon riders. I don't think they're going to go that route. I know you are, want to. I know it would be cool, but I don't it, think they're going to do it. But there are just so many Valyrian dragon riders. This is a point during the Dance of Dragons if we're like they're like half of the dragon riders, them and their bastards anyway. So it's just such a colossal change to completely write out that aspect of their family, which is one of the changes. That's one of the big changes I wanted to talk about. We'll get to it in just one second. But I adore that we got Vagar name dropped in this episode. I adore that we got Dreamfire name dropped in this episode, being like it was Dreamfire's egg and all that. Yeah, uh, we got Caraxes, we got Cyrax. We covered almost all of the largest of the dragons just by reference in this episode. It reassures sheep stealer. Know. We need sheep stealer. That's a uh-huh. biggin. I want Stealer's a biggin. Sheepsteel was a big one. I want Cannibal. Get, I, get, among the dragons, they're most likely to write out. Cannibal has got to be high on the list because he's completely wild. He com- he never is tamed by the dra- by, by the Targaryens Ever. like the rest. Of the, no, none of them. Yep. But he's possibly older than Balerion. Like the, they the, don't know though. Yeah. They don't know. But the consistent small fuck Rupert that the Targaryens have no historical record to use to rebut is that Cannibal was at Dragonstone before the Targaryens showed up. But it doesn't work, though, because Cannibal isn't bigger than Vagar, so it doesn't really work. He but is, I, Cannibal's yeah. huge. Cannibal's surprisingly huge. It's, it's, again, they talk about it a little bit just to know that he's way older than any other the wild dragons. He's way older than Jaehaerys, even. Um, so he's probably getting back to at least Aegon's reign, if not way earlier and possibly earlier. Um, and he, it, the, the issues with how possible it is is that, A, you know, we know that Balerion uh, died of old age. And so, if Balerion's lifespan is mirroring how dragons, old dragons can get, it'd be odd for, at this point, Cannibal to be decades upon decades older than that. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I think it's, I think it's a lot. I think that's the one where it's like, he was, ha- Martin was having some fun with fun. the telling. Yes. Cannibal's still fasting. We're, among the dragons, they're probably going to cut. Cannibal's got a rank high. But we're probably going to get Vermithor. We're probably going to get yes. Silverwing. Just so we can see, again, massive spoilers. We hope you've left if you're watching spoilers. But to see, you want a heartstring pull, uh, pulling scene later on in this series? Vermith, Vermithor, mortally wounded on the ground, wings to torn up to fly, with Silverwing diligently trying to help him up, trying to lift his wings, curling under him to support him. And failing as Vermithor dies there, d- dies there with her. God, is that going to? They're going to. They're going to have. They're going to. They're going to have people cr- absolutely bawling. Like when Caraxes grabs Vagar's throat and just won't let go, and yeah, fucking just fuck, brings and, the two and, and, and it's perfectly clear that they that like that Caraxes flew into that battle to because die. because Damon told her we're going to go die now. And, yep. and was willing to, and with that super long neck, grab Vagar's throat, and, and against all odds, is able to actually kill Vagar. Basically by killing her, herself, by killing himself. Uh, 
Vagar had the fight down, and Caraxes basically just went, fuck you, I'm ripping your throat out and bringing you down right now. I don't care they if can, I die. They can show that in a way, like, cause they'll show Vagar as being super powerful, right? Yeah. And when they show Vagar get just, when, when Caraxes grabs its throat and just won't let go, like, it's just a weak point for, 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 well, for, for Vagar and he dies. Well, and again, the, the other extra component of there too, which I think Damon recognized is that, you remember, as Caraxes is biting into Vagar's neck, Damon is flying through the yes. air to embed Dark Sister into um, uh, Eamon? Sorry. Eamon. Eamon's good eye. Yeah, which you have to believe that also destabilized Vagar too, that his freaking dragon rider is dead there on top of him while he's still trying to fight Caraxes. She's still trying to fight Caraxes. Yeah, and so, then, then, then all all three, we found the body of all three, but not the uh, We still don't know how, how the show's going to play off that one. But two two big changes I want to discuss, if you don't mind. Uh, Go ahead. What, what do we think about them? Change number one, we've already we've already gone into to a certain degree. How do you feel, and what do you make out of the fact that they appear to be at least saying that the Valerians have no historical connection as being dragon riders? I, I they seem to be making it as part of setting up this whole second Thun Missos that they want them to be separate. They want the, the the Valerians to have established their own bases in the world, their own support, disconnected from this just magical nuclear power. That they've actually been in the trenches, they've been in the mud, they've earned their position, and so that they have are now trying to build it up on that basis. They really are heavily playing into that. How Do you think that justifies them omitting the aspect of dragon riding? Do you think we'll get dragon riding in the future? And that this is going to be a, a hinge point to change the direction they're going in? Or do you think they're just very much going to stick to the parameters that we heard the sea stake himself set? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I think it, I think it has a butterfly effect that will be significant, right? Because it was significant. Well, not necessarily because I don't think it changes any of the major plot points, but I do think it changes who we see riding dragons, but it, it doesn't change the main, the main beats of the, the dance of the dragons. How, how not having a Valerian ride a dragon, how would that change the major beats of the dance of the dragons? It, the biggest one is one that we're going to maybe even explore this next episode based on the previews is who does Rhaenyra marry first? Because oh, she it, marries I, in the house. I know, I know who it's going to be. They've already, they've already given us like, so I, I look at a lot more like the like entertainment do, weekly stuff than you do. Like they've, they've given us a picture of older Rhaenyra with, um, Lena, Lainor, Lainor Valerian, yes. With Lainor, um, a shot of them together on Dragonstone, and it was a wonderful shot because Lainor is looking piningly at Renera, and Renera is fucking ignoring him. So it's, yes. I think they're going to go that route because why well, else would they release a picture of the two of them together in such a in such a very specific situation, underlying their their relationship? In some way, they had to because it also makes desperate political sense for her dad that she has to marry in the House Valerian right now to try to bridge that gap. Perfect yeah, that, sense for that. Yeah, and that that would be that that's going to be a really great like moment, right? Where Rhaenyra goes to her dad and is like, well, you fucked this up. So I guess I'll fucking clean it up for you by marrying this guy. I don't like now here's the issue. Here's the thing I'm going, I'm curious to how they're going to explore that her. She has children by him. Maybe question mark. It's debated in universe. They at least claim to be her children. And she offers that they are children by him. They are dragon riders, particularly her oldest son. Her oldest son dies in battle as a dragon rider. Right, but he's a Targaryen. Yes, but he's also a Valerian, and he still yeah. bears the name Valerian because she's married into that family. I which... think I, th- I understand the point you're making, but I think that they'll be able to. It, 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 I think the casual will just make the connection. 
it's Rhaenyra's, who is a Targaryen son, therefore he can ride the dragon. But if you were, if if it was just Lainor or just you know somebody who was just House Valerian, like I don't think that they are working under the assumption that the two houses have been inbreeding for decades the way that they have in the books. I think they've completely written that out. I think they've. Right. Which, which it, honestly, it makes House Valerian even more inbred than the Targaryens, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I agree that they have, for pragmatic casting reasons too, written out that aspect of the prior connection. This could be a, a connection that's established going forward with respect to Rhaenyra and her children. Um, so I agree on that. I, I'm not as axiom, I'm not as line in the sand as you are about there are going to be no Valerian dragon riders. I think they're going to explore that to a certain degree of establishing that it's part of the family continuing to grow in power and explore new ways, but it stands to be seen. Uh, smaller change I want to discuss with you. In the books, Masaria is pregnant. She has a kid. Uh, and specifically, well, she is pregnant, and she loses that child after Damon is kicked out of Dragonstone and he has to send her back to the Isle of uh, the Isle of Lease, where she's from in the books. And that death is a key aspect of driving a bit of a wedge between Damon and his brother that lost her in that regard. They appear to be not going that route at all in in the show. Maybe yeah, like because they, Masaria said she made sure that she can't have children. They also add in that Damon claims that he's going to marry her, which is not in the books. I, I believe at all. No. How do you how do you feel about the changes of Damon? Putting both of these plans in motion without consulting Masari and neither one of them being true, what do you think the purpose of him of, of them making that change is, and what ripple effects do you think it'll have? I'm not. I th- I'm not 100 sure why they would why they would make that change. I think that part of it is they were really just trying to very quickly illustrate that Damon was trying to do something for his brother's attention, like it, that. Having that be a lie, it even more drived home to the audience that he was just acting solely to try to get like he was just acting out and acting for his brother's um, attention. Now, the, the fact that <clears throat> the loss of the child drove a wedge between Damon and his brother in the books, I think that they're going to have that wedge in the show be the romantic interest that Damon is showing in Renera, And that is going to piss off. Uh, Viserys, and that's going to be the wedge between them. Yeah, I, I don't think it's necessary to focus on that one when it comes to the wedge. They got other options. The whole I'm pretty, to come... I'm pretty sure it's going to be the relationship with Rhaenyra. At, throw in a mix of the King of the Stepstones, and you've got more than enough to possibly drive a wedge between the two of them. So I, I don't think that one's as big as an issue. I, I, I think there's possibly three reasons for doing this, the making this change, and I think any of them can work. I don't think this is a huge change. Reason number one: it shows Damon as being even more. Hot-headed, spoiled child throwing tantrums and not thinking out his plans before he acts. Which is what, that, that's what I was going for in my answer. Yes. And I think that's an aspect of his character that they want to play up and emphasize. Fair. That is definitely an aspect of the man if you, if you want to focus on it. Possibility number two, uh, or justification number two. Eventually, Damon and Masaria need to be not necessarily in the same camp anymore. And so establishing and her it's is- going to need to happen sooner than later because I think they're going to actually have the relationship between Damon and Renera start while the actress is still being played by Millie Alcock. Like I think it's going to happen maybe in the next episode. So they need to they need to make that separation quick. <laughs> in the books, it was I think it was Mushroom that provided us rumors that Damon helped teach 
uh, Rhaenyra how to uh, successfully seduce and bed Kristen Cole. So, yeah, there are things that could happen when it comes to that issue. Um, so you know, eventually, Masari is going to be fully in Rhaenyra's camp and not in Damon's camp. I she'll be actually trying to undermine Damon. So, giving us some seeds earlier that she's an independent power player that's with Damon partly for her own goals and interests can help make that maybe less jarring or maybe more blend into that later. So, sure. Option number three, and I think this is perfectly fair too, it's another explanation too that we pointedly with Fire and Blood are getting a historical account that openly acknowledges that A, isn't the only account, and B, could very well be wrong and is coming from limited sources. So having a change like this of where she was sent away and, you know, she was she was said to be pregnant, and when she came back, she wasn't. She must have lost the child. And, oh, the, the brothers were estranged as a result afterwards. Is a perfectly reasonable deduction for a historian to make, and now we're just seeing through it to see, oh, she actually was just never pre- pregnant. Damon just made it up. And they felt they got estranged for different reasons. So that, that bleeds into a key theme of Fire and Blood and the overall mythos these created with respect to these events, of that historical accounts are one perspective drawing from different perspectives. They're not gospel. If anything, you need to compile them together to even have the slightest view. And in the end, they all could be wrong and all have their own biases that are governing their histories. So little changes like that that can have fun justifications in the text also kind of tickle me, too. So this is a change that's notable, but I think there's a lot of justifications and reasons for why they're doing it. And I don't think it's going to have too much in the way of ripple effects either. So George R. R. Martin gave an interview to History of Westeros, which, by the way, shout out to History of Westeros. If you're going to listen to any other Westeros podcasts, uh, other than ours, ours should be number one. Of there course, should be yes, there should be number two. Uh, they've been doing it forever. They're the OGs. They actually got an interview with George R. R. Martin, which, by the way, we're available. Germ, yeah. we'll we'll do it too. Uh, and in it, they ask him about is the show basically because of the way the books are written, which is like kind of secondhand accounts, fictional mm-hmm. secondhand accounts. Is the book sort of the authoritative like canon for what occurred? And he gave an answer that would piss you off. He basically said, well, the canon isn't a real thing. And, oh, fuck off, George. Uh, and that, 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 that there's going to be basically show canon and book canon, and they both kind of coexist telling stories, and that's all we're really doing is telling stories anyway. So I don't know. It's like all – all they're just different, and that's the end of it. George, he, you can't invite the author is dead yourself. You can't do fucking, that. I, look, I loved the interview. I thought that they did a good job, but I was like – I was so frustrated with that answer from him. So I'm going to ignore that answer, and I'm going to continue to operate <laughs> the under the – I'm going to continue to operate on the assumption that the show is telling us what really occurred mm-hmm. while the book, the books, the various pieces of literature that we have around the story are just fictional secondhand accounts. This is George already addressing the fact that the shows are more telling his story than his books ever are anymore. And I don't think he's perfectly comfortable with that fact, but he's trying to make the best of it. Yeah, it's just like, well, the show canon and then there's book canon. It's like, no, stop, stop. I don't, I didn't, I just didn't like it. Anyway, that's just me. I just didn't like it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think, uh, we'll see it, but we'll see about the Valerian Dragon Riders. That's a very interesting one. Uh, you know, if in the very next episode, um, little Lena just jumps on Vagar, then I will concede defeat, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I imagine you, you, you wouldn't only concede you probably wouldn't necessarily cheer, need to concede cheer. defeat. You would, yeah, you would be over the friggin' moon to see Lena riding uh, Valeria, uh, Vagar at any given point. 
Yeah, I would, but but I would also know that that coming later is, is where De- A- Amon steals it from her. So anyway, um, yeah, cool. Anything else we want to talk about in the spoiler section? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, everybody. For those that are still joining us who heard all of those very, very, very spoilery parts, uh, I'm glad that you joined us. I'm glad that you listened. And thank you a lot for watching the show with us, loving the world of Westeros with us in Song of Ice and Fire, and following week by week as we go through the new show, the great new show. I'm so excited that the show is good. This is this is a lot of fun, Spencer. We will be back with everybody next Sunday night. We like to do we do two podcasts for every episode, so we will be back with you Sunday night for about a 20, 25 minute reaction podcast, and then later in the week with a full review of episode three. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you have a great week.